To the quarter to three movie podcast for three days to kill. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here to discuss three days to kill with you, the listener, and Christian Signaler. And Christian Molnarski. Uh, you can just refer to me as Goatee. <laughs> with our three days to kill tagline, Kelly Wine. Uh, does for Jack Ryan shatter recruit what the family did for Goodfellas? Okay, hold on. Let me. I'm sort of trying. Is that a? All right, I have to make like a Venn diagram in my head and do a flow chart and. Um, like every other catchphrase. Hmm. That's. Uh. I don't know. Well, let's discuss that in a moment. But first. Oh no! You sound disconsolate about it. All right, let me change it. He's oh, okay. Pl- do you have he's actually nonplussed. <laughs> is there? A, here's our backup. Three days to kill tagline. Kelly Wand. Out of the way, Frenchie. <laughs> Looking forward to more of that in a little bit. He didn't uh, use the voice for the movie. It was weird. It's like he heard the co- podcast and goes, Should I do this then? I'm Dark Knight this time. <laughs> he being Kevin Costner. We recently saw another Kevin Costner movie, which uh, Kelly Wan did a, a fantastic rendition of Kevin Costner's voice. I, I recommend that you look for the Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit podcast. Go back and listen to that, and you will hear Kelly Wan spot on a fantastic Kevin Costner impression. It's last month's Kevin Costner spy movie. And this is uh, well. Before we get to this, we have a public service announcement. Oh, uh, Dingus <laughs> has seen the Spectacular Now, which is available on DVD. Uh, I I I successfully pranked Dingus by not by not telling him how awful it was before I told him to see it. And so he sat through the whole thing, uh, and I even said, just watch the first you know, 15, 20 minutes of it. Oh, he thought you liked it. Yeah, I tried to remain neutral about it because uh, there are a couple of actresses in it that we really like on this podcast. Shailene Woodley is the lead in it. Brie Larson is in it. Uh, you, you see uh, a little, there's a little Jennifer Jason Lee, a little Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Thing is, who am I leaving out? I don't You're leaving know. out Caitlin Deaver. Caitlin Deaver. Oh, they're both good. Short term 12, exactly. So, and I think Dingus knew that at least Shailene Woodley was in it. So I just told him, I just told him, hey, just see the first 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, thinking that he would suffer through that. And then in the course Go of that. Damn that, Tom. Exactly. And then realize he had been punked. But, uh, as I was hoping would happen, I hate to do this to Dingus because he doesn't have as much time to watch movies as I do. But as I was kind of hoping would happen, <laughs> he would suffer through the entirety of it, which he did. So now no, he gambled. He'd go. He'd go like because he went. I know what this is, and stop watching Silver Linings Playbook instead of keeping on looking at Jennifer Lawrence. So you're like, obviously, he's not going to make it for 20 minutes. He would have. So Dingus, did you think it would get? Or, uh, we talked a little bit about this. Did you know that Spectacular Now was going to be as awful it was for as long as it was, or were you watching it thinking, well, maybe Tom? It was up to the title eventually. Yeah, what was going through your head, Dingus, as Spectacular Now uh, unspooled before you? Um, one thing that was going on in my head was that you had only watched the first 20 minutes, and I was going to get the drop on you. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. That's kind of, I like I wanted him to take the like I wanted him to sort of. Give well, up. you were going to do that normal thing, like, how much of this have you seen now? Because, like, The Hunt, I've seen, like, half of The Hunt still. Right. And um, 
and it's uh, best acting as he trolls Tom's. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'm gonna watch this whole thing, and then Tom's gonna say, "How much have you seen?" And I'm gonna say, "All of it." Ha ha. Um, but the joke was on me because it's horrible. <laughs> and I also, as it went on, I was thinking, well, maybe you know, there's every actress I love is in this movie. Maybe it's just maybe it's going <laughs> to uh, become some a butterfly at some point, but it never does. <laughs> Uh, well, it's got every actress I love in it. Maybe it'll become a butterfly at some point. <laughs> well, what's what's disgusting? The problem with it is that all these these really good actresses and Shailene Woodley is we we definitely noticed her in The Descendants. Even those of us who didn't like the movie as much as others, uh, and she is so. I mean, she just. It, She's just so radiant and She's spectacular now. She's fantastic. I mean, it's just – it's a great example of how this this girl really needs to become a superstar. Like, she's fantastic in it. But the movie's not about her. It's about this dipwad who has no charisma, <laughs> who is aggressively unlikable, who is clearly – it's based on a novel that some guy wrote presumably about himself, and he doesn't have any sort of insight into what an asshole he is. Uh and this made it into his novel, which then went into the screenplay, which then went into this movie that was made about him. Uh, so Shailene Woodley is fantastic, but unfortunately she has to be the support structure for this. This He's kind of like John Cusack with no charisma. Uh, or he, he's sort you of like... looking? Is it, well, he, he does kind of have... So the actor's name, and I've seen him in another movie called 21 and Over. And 21 and Over... <laughs> Did you watch that? 21 and Over is not bad. So 21 and Over is the guys who wrote The Hangover, and it's them doing The Hangover. It's basically a remake of The Hangover, but about frat boys. Um, and one of the things it has going for it is one of the comic relief actors in 21 and Over, I guess he would be this counterpart to Zach Galifianakis, is an actor named uh, Miles Teller. And in 21 and Over, he's pretty naturalistic, and he fits into the tone of the movie. Um, he was even in this terrible movie with Nicole Kidman called Rabbit Hole, where he's Ooh. supposed to play this tortured young kid who's been responsible for the death of Nicole Kidman's child, and they form a relationship. And I, I hated Rabbit Hole, but but Miles Teller the, in Rabbit Hole, you could sort of see, hey, this guy, he's very comfortable acting. He's got a naturalistic style to him. Maybe he'll grow up and be good. Then he's in 21 and over. He's the comic relief. It's fine. But at some point, someone got in his or her head, hey, let's make this kid a, a leading role type. And it doesn't work, and it and it scuttles. It just kills spectacular now. Um, but Miles Teller's name, uh, some folks might know now, because they're not just making him a leading man. They are they are intending to now make him a leading man in a big budget blockbuster reboot of Fantastic Four. <sighs> Miles Teller is the new uh, Reed Rex Richards. Reed Richards, right? Rex Reed is someone else. Uh, Reed Richards, Rex Mr. Reed. <laughs> Uh, I, <laughs> they do look kind of similar. Who's playing Gene Shalit in the Fantastic? <laughs> yeah. Miles Teller would make a great Gene Shalit. I will give him that. Um, so Kelly, who else is in the new Fantastic? Michael Four? B. Jordan, our beloved yeah. Station, is Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, which is um, I like the actor, but it's like, is he still Jessica Alba's sister and the chick from? He's not a sister. It's the brother. <laughs> I like Dingus. Um, and Kate Mara is Sue Storm. Yeah, I just started watching House of Cards. I like it. Oh, and she's in House of so That's what you were saying about House I didn't know she was from House of Cards. I'm only one episode in because I noticed everyone was uh, it. Do you know who plays Michael Chiklis? Yeah. Jamie Bell. My, Jamie Bell, which I approve of. from Jumper Video Game. No, what? That's so weird. You don't like Jamie Bell? I like him, but he's Ben Grimm. I don't get that. Well, I don't care about like what their counter, their comic book characters are. Like I don't – I just <laughs> – 
<laughs> but what gets me about that ensemble, Kelly Wand, is I mean, Kate Mara is fine, but uh, Michael B. Jordan is fantastic. Jamie Bell is fantastic. I think they're both kind of heavy hitters. But leading them is this Miles Teller douchebag. And you hate. God. How, does, now how does he get thrust upon us? I don't understand this. <laughs> they always he's, do that. He's he's like this supposed to be this I don't know Ferris Bueller character in Spectacular now, and he has nothing. He's no. Career. You know what? That's exactly it, Dingus. They kind of I'll bet in Spectacular now they think they're making a, a Ferris Bueller's Day Off kind of thing, don't they? Yeah. 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 He's obviously sucking somebody's dick. Whoa, 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 Kelly Wand. No, we don't. We, That's no. my theory. Unless you're Will Smith's your dad, well, you no. get these Taylor Kitsch three movie deals. No, no. So here, I, I mean, to his credit, I mean, he, I think he's terribly miscast in Spectacular now. The, the script in that is awful. If you do see 21 and over, he's got a, a very relaxed style, and he's he's good at doing <laughs> this kind of Vince Vaughn patter kind of deal. So I can see somebody seeing that, and he's he, he stands out on screen in certain kinds of roles. It's just they're pushing him into things where he doesn't really belong. Oh. Relaxed Vince Vaughn. You know what I liked that I, you said sucked, and you said don't watch it. Ah, what? I liked VHS too. God. You didn't like that one. You didn't like the aliens. I I didn't like. No, no, I didn't because no. ah. So VHS uh, is the found footage horror anthology. Uh, some of which is good, some of which is excellent. There's a segment in that called Amateur Night that we all like. Um, and VHS two, I thought just had some really cool ideas about how to justify the found footage. But I didn't. Yeah, didn't care for most of the execution. It was more consistent, I thought, than the first one. The first one, the first couple ones were sure. good, and the rest were. It was more consistently bad. Why is my face red? <laughs> no, Wait, I did like. So, I love yeah. the. So let me sell this to Dingus. Dingus, what do you think of this idea for a found footage movie? I'm going to sell this to you, Dingus. You're a studio exec. You let me know whether this is going to fly or not. All right, just be careful. My eyes are bleeding. Okay. What? <laughs> I don't know what that means. That's freaking me out, yeah. But I like it. This pitch meeting is scaring me already. So, Dingus, we're going to do a found footage movie, uh, and it's going to play on those GoPro cameras where somebody puts a GoPro camera on their helmet and jumps out of an airplane or whatever. But this is a dude with a GoPro camera on his helmet uh, doing some BMX racing through the woods on his bicycle. But while he's doing this, a zombie apocalypse happens. Mm. And he gets attacked by a zombie and bitten and turned. And so then he shuffles around as a zombie with the camera on his head. That's a great idea. It is a great idea. I didn't care much for the execution. But Dingus, will you green like that as a big – I know I'm just Dingus's PA in this. <laughs> will you I take just poked my head and went, dude. Can the zombies ride bikes? No, it, I think it loses. They should try, though. That would have been funny. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. For no reason. Because it's like sometimes the zombies are fast and sometimes they're slow. I've noticed like, like since 20, like, later was like, see, they can be fast. You just make them fast so they can run around and shit. And then Zach Stein went, oh, yeah. But it's <laughs> like. But they don't, op they don't try to operate cars or uh, they bikes. Can't use, they can't use tools. No, that's, but, not like, the, that's first, the next evolution no, of zombies. No, you guys are both wrong. Wait, what you guys won't, don't know is that the first zombie actually picked up a rock and tried to smash a window. That first zombie <laughs> is the No, that first zombie like is driving the car. Dead. No, he yeah. picks up and he's trying to open a door even. When Barbara gets in the car and locks it, he's pulling at the handle and he's picking up a rock trying to smash the window. The very first zombie in all of history understood doorknobs and tried to use a tool. I think for uh. you, 2001 ended before like it turned into a spaceship, and that's your idea what a tool is. Besides... Yeah, I think he's got a good idea of what a tool is. Leave it to Kelly Wan to steer us to 2001. Uh, and so, it looks unknowing. If, if, uh, if, you got, if, if we can put the zombies on bikes, you got my money. 
<laughs> Thanks, right. boss. I'm gonna go back to Xerox. He's TPS. Yeah, all right. So I'll make some changes to the script, and it'll be about it'll it'll be a cross between Premium Rush and Ah, <laughs> oh. but found footage. <laughs> Premium Rush is another good idea that wasn't good. Uh, what? Uh, having um, not Michael having Michael Shannon as the villain. Yeah, I guess it is good. That's yeah, good so I disregard what I said. Uh, so uh, when when I saw spe- or not spectacular now. So uh, when I saw uh, what do we see? Uh, three days to kill this week. Uh, oh, we just watched the whole movie, like Diggis did, and you wanted to punish like, him minute for minute. minute. No, yes. no, I definitely watched the whole movie, and I I hate it. So Kelly Wan, if this is any indication, took it out on Diggis. Here is something that says all you need to know about Spectacular now. The lead character's name is Sutter Keeley. That's. Sutter Kane was the guy in Mouth of Madness, so obviously that's what the man who wrote the novel that the Shailene Woodley movie is based on is clearly referencing. But the idea is that he's so cool and everybody loves him. He's Sutter Keeley. He's Sutter Keeley. That's what bugged me about Californication. Is it seemed like every. <laughs> so it's what bugged you about Californication? Just like everyone thinks, it's like writers always write themselves oh. as the best writer ever. So, Kelly Wan, because this is a movie podcast for a moment, I thought you were talking about California, the one spelled mm-hmm. with a K. No, that's a good movie. Right. I've never it's seen It's also got Duchovny in it. Yep. Like Duchovny that. and Duchovny. <laughs> right. It right. should be Californication with a K. Okay. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never seen Californication. I don't watch David Duchovny TV. Wait, show. one last comic book thing. A guy at work <laughs> was appalled when I went, wait, I thought Captain America was the Winter Soldier because he was in ice. And he was just like, oh, how could you? I don't even. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like I don't. I found out. So I already wanted to see Captain America, but today I found out something about Captain America that really makes me want to see it, and it might be con- construed as a spoiler. So Dingus, don't listen when I tell you. Okay, la 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 la. That Michelle Yeoh is in Captain America. Winter. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yep. good. But see, that's a good spoiler. That's I what know. I'm saying. Not every spoiler is bad. So speaking of spoilers, during the trailers, when I saw Three Days to Kill, I didn't watch the – because when a trailer comes up, I will watch the first part of it to see if it's a trailer I want to see or not. If it's a movie I know I want to see, I don't want to see the trailer. So I'll close my eyes and put my fingers in my ears. <laughs> it's a movie that – Like a three-year-old. Uh, or, or, yeah. At an R-rated movie. Or an autistic child or something or just like right. someone who – yeah. Just, I just want to shut it all out and wait. <laughs> I'm a film critic. Excuse me, audience. <laughs> La, 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 la. <laughs> I'm not calling attention to myself. Leave me alone. Can you kindly keep your baby quiet while I put my fingers in my ears? <laughs> but then when the uh, when a trailer comes up for a movie that I know I want to see because I've seen the trailer and I've seen – I feel like the trailer for The Other Woman, which is the movie yeah. with Cameron Diaz and Leslie Mann and okay, someone who, who, who Dingus told me was Kate Upton. I would that's otherwise it. have no idea who that is. Uh, I want to see that and I, I will watch the trailer over and over to remind myself – and when the trailer comes up, I'll watch it to remind myself that I want to see it. I enjoy that trailer. So I'll watch all the way through that. Um, uh, so a trailer came on showing some guy doing parkour. And he's oh, just yeah. up and he's doing parkour stuff and he's got his shirt off and you can see all of his muscles and it's some great action sequence. Tops, hands then, are busy, not in his ears for that. This is a really painful moment for me, actually. But then it cuts to a shot of Paul Walker and yeah. everybody in the audience goes and it was it was amazing. Like the, the reaction the audience like to a person, the audience goes, Oh, like, like it was like like the air was being let out of them and and it wasn't like oh look he's cute or it wasn't like oh we're sad it was just like this this visceral reaction to see Paul Walker's face on the screen uh so I didn't watch the rest of that trailer because whatever that is I think it's a remake of District 13 um yeah, whatever it's another, that is it's another Luc Besson 
right, uh, right. like factory product. But isn't it just a remake of District 13, the parkour movie? I think so, actually. I, I, I just knew. I think it's called uh, Brick Mansions. Right, Brick Mansions. Yeah. Um, um, and it said something like based on such and such for the missile. Okay. Um, he just looks so young and in oblivious to. I mean, I kind of agree with your audience. I felt the same thing. Well, no, I felt the same thing. And it occurs to me, if a Philip Seymour Hoffman trailer were to come up... Same thing. I, I, don't, I don't think so. Because Philip Seymour Hoffman was... Um, he was a this kind of tortured genius. You know, you got this sense watching him that there's a performer, a craftsman, or, or kind of an artist there. But, but Paul Walker... He was your buddy. <laughs> like there's there's yeah. just such a different sensibility about that guy that was behind the kind of people who go to see Three Days to Kill on a Sunday night that was behind that kind of reaction. And I don't feel that Philip Seymour Hoffman – I mean, you would certainly feel something and you would have a reaction to seeing him in a trailer. But I don't think there would be that, that vocal response, that involuntary response – I think, cause, yeah, you're right, because like he Hoffman had like a darkness in him, and you go, see, you know, it's not a complete surprise, but Paul Walker really was. Yeah. Has Paul Walker, luminous. Yeah. yeah, and you knew the guy, and you liked him, and you hung out with him for two hours when he was in a movie, and that was just such a big part of what was so marketable and appealing about him, uh, is that you felt like you knew him, and he's a guy who would, you know, he'd chuck you on the shoulder, and you'd feel awesome about yourself. Right, right, right. Well, if a guy like that dies, it means none of us are safe. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. So you feel like you're in the Game of Thrones universe. If Paul Walker can die, the universe really is hard. Right. Yes. I met a guy in the neighborhood who went to his memorial service. Um, there's a My kid's really into cars right now, and there's a guy down the street who has this... 71 Chevelle. It's a really beautiful car, but he only has it out in front of his house like every now and then. He hides it otherwise. And so uh, he was like wrenching underneath it one day, and, and we were out walking the dog, and we stopped to talk to him for a while, and he's got a dent in his car, like right near the driver's door. And he said he was leaving the Paul Walker Memorial Service, and somebody in the little car ran into him. Oh, jeez. So he should, he should keep that dent in there forever. To, yeah. to remember. Way out of grief or negligence or just he, just stupidity. And then the, the guy I think was sort of like embarrassed, like because the anecdote sort of ran out of steam. And he's like, "Well, yes, <laughs> uh, that's what happens out there." And Paul should have put some signs up. Or he just made this really lame joke about an accident that he went. <laughs> oh jeez! Really, Wait, was that the joke he made? Because I'm appalled by that, and I'm if we're talking about me. Mm-hmm. Why, man? It was just—it was just an, an awkward social moment. He wasn't trying to be crass. I don't think. Well, okay. Uh, Kelly, Wan, will we have uh, later in the podcast to look forward to? Will we have a reading from Bayling's blog this week? Do you know? You're asking me, or you're telling? Yeah. You're no, I'm asking you. I'm just asking you. Is that something that maybe listeners can look forward to? No, but I. Someone okay. told me uh, something on Magnum. I saw that um, <laughs> it's kind of similar. Something on Ma- like Magnum PI. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, Magnum PI. The it's TV show? Seen, yeah, see on Magnum P.I. I went. Oh, Kelly One, do you know what year it is? I know, but see, that's what I'm saying. Magnum P.I. Wow. It's All like right. Bailing, you'll see. Okay. When does the new season of Magnum come out? <laughs> Eight people. Wait, Simon and Simon is just out, so it would be next week, I would think. All right, so do we have other, uh, like, trailer or general movie-related news? Uh that was longer than a I'm, Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So let's talk about what we saw this week. Dingus, why don't you tell the listeners? Now, don't spoil it, because maybe some of the listeners are as spoiler-averse as we are. So, Dingus, without spoiling anything... They don't listen to those. Tell, the- tell folks what we saw this week. 
This week we saw Three Days to Kill. Aha, yes. Um, there's a number three in there somewhere, but not a number two. A, uh, <laughs> it does seem like a missed opportunity. Three Days to Kill. Ah, okay. Uh, this is a 2014 American-slash-French action thriller drama movie mm. about a father trying to reconnect with the teenage daughter he has not seen in years. <sighs> this does make you want to see it. Um, uh, it was directed by McGee, Joseph McGinty Nickel. What? And Wait a minute, what? What's wrong? That's McGee's name? Yeah, Joseph McGinty McGee Nickel. That's a cooler name than McGee. That's the stupid thing about him. Wow. I know he, right. he's the rich man's Brett. Like, Brett Ratner should be... And even dumber. Brett Ratner's a good name here. I had trouble reading some of the opening credits. All that red stuff. I could read the first name of everybody, but the last names I could not. You are are colorblind, Dingus. There is that. Uh, And written by Adi Hassak and Luc Besson, based on Besson's story. Uh, It stars (laughs) Evan Costner, Haley Steinfeld, and Thomas Lemarquis. Wait, who was he? He was the Billy Corbett character. He's the Albany. That means. Oh, Billy Corrigan. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, now I get the opening song. Uh, Three Days to Kill is rated PG-13 mm. for intense sequences of violence and action, some sensuality, <laughs> and language. Wait, sensuality? Well, sensuality yeah. obscured by fog. By a fog machine. Fog, <laughs> fog nudity. Foodie. I guess Amber Heard just being in a movie is an automatic... <laughs> PG-13. That's so. automatic sensuality. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Who was the one who upstaged Amber Heard in that Nicolas Cage drive angry thing? Uh, what was that? Uh, uh, um, what's her name uh, from? Julie Mixon. Wait, yes, yes. Kelly Katie no. Mixon. Katie Mixon. Katie Mixon, yes. Katie thank Mixon, you. yeah. <laughs> That's sensuality. Now that'll get you an R. It's just casting Katie Mixon. Yeah. Well, and Amber Heard's there too, so I'd, it's like... I'd order her chicken for egg steak any day. <laughs> and Fickner's got <laughs> kind of cool eyes. Uh, that's a different kind of centrality, though, really, Kelly Wand. That's uh, that's your. Uh, all right. So, uh, Dingus, I'm sorry. So that those were the ending. Uh, that was the end of the PG-13 reasons, right? Yeah, that's it. Just sensuality okay. and language. <laughs> so, two days to kill. An F word, which is weird. There's well, there what? was a subtitle one. Yeah, and then they yeah. they there, always throw them out early lately. There's blood. There was definitely Not blood. Really. Always throw them out early. Oh. Robocop, we got it late, baby. You know what I mean? And then a bleeper. So, uh, Two Days to Kill is uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating. It's on it. Reviews. Uh, Two Days to Kill has 40 on Metacritic, which is 100. On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive, 27. Whoa. I thought people would like it more. Fewer than one in three people gave this a positive review. Uh, It did, however, open at number two. Uh, it came in number two behind the Lego movie, which is, I think, number one. For Jesus. The uh, lots of kids go to see movies, Kelly Wan. They get their parents. Apparently. So every time a kid goes to a movie, it's two people going. But isn't that a 97, too, or is that just kids rating at a 97? I don't know what you're asking. Is what in 97? What? The Lego movie is a 97 on those math things you like to read. Oh, it is? Really? It's supposed to be really, really good. Well, I only read the one that I'm supposed to do... Uh... Well, Lego movie—it's a cartoon for children. Why would I go see that? But you Legos are like you like Lego Star Wars, and you hate Star Wars and Legos. So you're uh, isn't, aren't you? I actually I do want to see the Lego movie. I just haven't gotten around to it. I was going to go to a double feature today, and I wasn't sure if I would. I didn't, uh, but I wasn't sure if I would see Pompeii or the Lego movie. 
Ah, oh, it was. It could have gone either way, but I didn't see either. So, uh, and and so what? The good news about two dates to kill, or three days to kill. It did, in fact, beat. Dates. It did beat Pompeii. That's good news. Even when we didn't see Pompeii, and that was my what I whined for unsuccessfully. Right. So we, Kelly Wand, saw the more successful movie. We might have you pushed it I, over the top. You know what? I'd make out of Legos. <sighs> Amber Heard. Oh yeah, what were you saying? Math. No sense. It doesn't matter. What? No, she's connected to herself. (laughs) Keep keep digging. Wait, Uh, uh, how's RoboCop doing? You guys' favorite movie ever? RoboCop's doing. No, it's fine. I didn't mean Rotten Tomatoes wise. I meant Uh, it was number four this week, I believe. So right after Pompeii, it's gone up. It was number seven, I thought. Are we going to see? So. You're not going to sneak off to Pompeii since you saw fucking. I do want to see Pompeii. I mean, I don't think it's it's doing very well, but uh, I still. Should want to have see it trolled me into thinking it was Paul Thomas Anderson, the other one. Right. Good, I just made a Pompeii movie. It says this will be blood, but it's lava. Would that have worked? Maybe. <laughs> uh, so Kelly Wand, I would I like you now to tell the listeners what happens in Three Days to Kill in synopsis form, if you will. Maybe a Three Days to Kill synopsis. You know, it couldn't have been anything good, and yet you still punted. Because <laughs> I like to leave you to uh, to inform the listeners. Oh, I see. You're setting me up. Uh, You're holding the ball in place. Uh, I didn't have anything good. It's I was going to say whatever you say is going to work, and then you still came So that out. would mean you were going to yes and me. Is mm. that correct? Mm. That's the key to good improv, Kelly Warned. Oh. Kelly, what family handshakes ensuing was the key. Why don't you give us a three days to collapsus? That Hi, mean? that's good. No. <laughs> so you just did a no. That was yeah, not a yes answer. Did an and no. You did a no but. Uh, three days to Kipsis. Mm. Agent Heard, I think I'm your boss. Uh, now memorize this headshot and take it with you. We suspect his spy name's something German, but his real name's The Wolf. His specialty's selling briefcases. This guy, he's the albino. He's the most dangerous man alive, but his specialty's jumping off hotels onto cars <laughs> and waiting for stuff on tracks and cables to decapitate people. <laughs> See, why is PG-13 right? Finally, this is Kevin Costner. Uh, his signature moves passing out and shooting people in the foot. Guess that's two words. Here's one more. Good luck. <laughs> this is different, dude. Wait, can I ask real quick? Yeah. What, what kind of CIA official gives the briefing in the lobby? <laughs> yeah. In front of- <laughs> <laughs> you can see the almost like the the janitor in the background pushing the mop. I know everybody's about to leave, but let's wait. Can I just talk to you before you run off to Prague? I like how McGee thinks he really gets how spies lives are. Like, Jack Ryan made it seem um, seems realistic. By like, remember Chris Pine's fucking he's in the cafeteria and... with Amber Heard living above him, and uh, <laughs> this means war. And now Chris Pine's in the serious spy movie, and we get this. All right, I'm sorry I cut you off. So okay, lobby briefing. Okay. By the way, do you, did you guys recognize one of those actors? Do y'all know who Raymond Barry is? I hate to see that guy rolled out, and then they don't use him. One of the guys. Yeah, what the, the heck? Briefing. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah. That's what they do with everybody now. I guess so. It's a come, on yeah, come on out to Prague, yeah. wherever yeah. we're shooting for for two days, and we'll yeah. Remember uh, my the guy who was Mike on Breaking Bad in Identity Thief. 
where he's in like one scene in prison going, yeah, something words, and then you never see that movie. God, really? You don't remember that? No. Really like, wait, that you got that guy, and that's it. Like, wait, who who from Breaking Bad? Uh, the hitman with the balloons and like... But who was he in Breaking Bad? I don't remember names. That's the character's name. I don't know the actor's oh. name. <laughs> the bald guy with the daughter from Breaking Bad. Yeah, instead of the son. Correct. You're no help. At any rate, so Kelly Watts, so character actors. This has been Breaking Bad talk. I apologize. I uh, speaking of Breaking Bad, how about that Need for Speed movie? Oh, God, I love watching that trailer. I cannot get enough of that trailer. I, I just can't. It just seems like such a parody of a trailer. It's, it's. It, I mean, I can't believe they're trying to sell him as this tough guy. It's awesome. Thing is, that's Jesse Pinkman. He will. <laughs> the words Need for Speed. Like, oh, you played the game. Now watch someone. And listening to Michael Keaton do this, like, oil and bass. Yes, he's in a... He's the hip DJ. It's like from that 70s classic, The Vanishing, which had a a kind of like a DJ narrating the car chase the whole time. And that's that's what they're evoking with Michael Keaton and Need for Speed. Whatever, Grandpa. Are you talking to me? You're calling me Grandpa, Caliwand. 70s Vanishing TV. You're the first one who started this podcast. You had the earliest 70s film reference on this podcast tonight by bringing up 2001. That's and let's not forget you referenced Magnum PI a minute ago. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah. What was it like when you watch when you watch Magnum PI on TV, Grandpa? <laughs> Tell me about it. Zeus, Apollo, Patrol. Well, I just watched this this scene that you'll hear at the end of the podcast. I'm like, oh, it's too good. I got to remember that. I didn't watch All right. So at any rate, we get a lobby briefing uh, for Amber Heard. Uh, carry on. Sorry, I cut you off. Uh, guys in van to CIA. Yeah, we just let our maid agent walk by bad guys who'd recognize her. And we also forgot to give her a gun, uh, just a feather duster. Should we help her? Over. Uh, CIA to van dudes, not till the upload's finished. Over, unless Costner wants to. Uh, Costner to self, no can't do. My phone alarm's going off. Damn, it's my daughter's birthday. I need to call her right this second. Then I should hit Circuit City for a refund. Program this thing to only go off during off-screen hotel room shootouts. <laughs> it's happening, Tom. Costner's here. <laughs> uh, van guy standing next to you to Costner. Uh, come on, bro. You know the rules. No cell phone use in the van. Or near it, I guess. Can't it wait just a couple minutes? We're in the middle of a fucking covert op. It's 8 in the morning. Isn't it a birthday all day? How can it? I'll just find a payphone. Over. <laughs> This was all based on a real spy ride line that G was on. I found out later. We'll sidebar for you. A spy ride along. I spied along. I'll just find a payphone. Over. Uh, you need change there? Yeah, but no thanks. It's too late. I'm already struggling with the van door. Hey, newspaper guy, can I have all these quarters? I need to make a phone call. Payphones don't ruin dirty bomb uploads to CIA vans. Uh, two words, pal. No. Why, you American son of a bitch, if you were French, I'd shoot you in the foot, but here's my watch. <laughs> Taking all your coins in exchange, coming back for the watch. Huh? What kind of deal is that? Hey, it's me, whatever your daughter's name is. Call me on my birthday, huh? Fuck you! Yeah, sweetie, my phone alarm just started working five seconds ago. I'm not in a job where I need to understand technology. 
Not in a job where you need to understand technology. Go fuck yourself, Dad, and let that newspaper guy keep your watch for all I care. That made ten times the CIA agent you ever were. Well, honey, it was great catching up with you. Talk to you on my deathbed. Ha ha, I'm a recording. <laughs> Leave a message singing happy birthday super loud, and I'll erase it without listening. Later, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to be the Asian, but I've decided racist accents are okay if they're German. I have enough time to kill you, but sirens scare and see mining. Nice work, Costner. Well, I lost a hotel floor, windows, and a bunch of diplomats' families staying in the rooms. Also, you shot 30 bullets through an awning, one guy fell off. Not bad. <laughs> By the way, I'm a doctor, and you have five months to live. If there are any sudden medical breakthroughs, we'll send Amber Heard to whatever city you're in to syringe. Good luck. Nice work getting in my car, Costner. Yeah, that's Amber Heard. I see why you're suddenly worth the big bucks. I'm Amber Heard. My undercover identity is a femme fatale who runs over French pedestrians. It's like she's the Asian chick, but white. Guess you could say I drive angrily. Here, I'm also your boss now. We need you to kill this guy. In exchange, I'll stick this needle in your arm. That's okay. I have two questions. What if you were my daughter and Haley Steinfeld was you? And <laughs> that feels good, but aren't you supposed to be aiming for a vein? Look, the CIA didn't think you were worth the money till after the credits, but now they want to pay you 150 k plus whatever's in this needle to shoot a dude in a hotel room. Assassination targets are always in hotel rooms. McGee did a lot of research. Also, it might be five guys, not one. But you're only getting one bullet and the snake in a can because we're out of grenades. <laughs> <laughs> we can only afford the best, but we spent it all on you. <laughs> we're also out of maid outfits. It takes real skill to drive this fast. Can't you kill him? <laughs> Please. The CIA can barely afford my wardrobe. Sorry, but my Dallas Buyers Club dues have lapsed. I don't take drugs from anybody without reading exhaustive test results and don't require vodka. Here, I had these thousand pages in my lap all this time. This area bores you. Oh, and buy a suit. Never mind, this mulatto dude who follows me around and is ten times your size is faster. Enrique? I want all my skid marks returned intact, please. <laughs> Dingus winced at that. Don't worry, Dingus. He's not in the movie. I'm glad you heard that. <laughs> Ow, my armpit hair. <laughs> the caterpillar that from A Bug's Life. <laughs> I can do any one. Uh, works. Uh, Dad, why are all these people clapping just because I rode a bike a couple feet? And isn't the top of a thousand steps kind of a dumb place to do this? They're applauding my technique and holding on to it the whole time and shooting them all in the feet. Ah, the man who tortured me and generously allowed me to stay in his car trunk until I gave him domestic advice. Please, stay for dinner. Threaten my family. Never buying bag wet. Bag you wet. <laughs> he said, that's Oscar say bag wet. Never buying bag you wet without a flat vest pays off as you. 
usual. Listen, squatter, your baby was born in my bathtub three seconds ago and already has a full head of hair. Stay forever. American landlord spy, thank you for being absent so often. <laughs> He's French and black, so he sounds Arabic. Also, just to clarify, despite the similarity of our accents, I am a different human from Amber Heard's department store mannequin character. Think this? All right. Uh, let's talk about a trade blockade. Damn, my daughter's prom has subway trains, and now I'm looking at Amber Heard's vagina. Am I in hell? <laughs> Is that what that looks like to you? <laughs> That's how I've heard sounds. <laughs> is that what it looks is that what my vagina looks like to you? Depp's nickname for it's Daisy Supernova. <laughs> she changed accents for that line, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of which I keep coughing blood and passing out. Yeah, the side effects of the magic drug may include bloody tuxedos and massively reduced life expectancy. I didn't have enough paper to mention that in the test results. Now, fucking shoot this already wounded guy with the gun I just slid you and earn that million-dollar injection. <laughs> Fuck you. I love my wife and daughter too much. <laughs> <laughs> to be with them. Fine, I'll do it. There. Movie climax concluded. Look, even though you were negative, here's your check and lifetime supply of injections. By the way, audience, I'm a metaphor for drones. <laughs> it's Christmas, even though my family and I are all still have the same. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <clears throat> it's Christmas, even though my family and I all have the same haircuts. I guess I'm cured and on a beach. Now my phone's ringing. Hello? Yes, it's me, your wife. <laughs> Every girl's German, dingus. Except me, why, man? <laughs> yes, it's me, your wife, Tina or Christina. Are you still dying? Or what? I don't know. Paris was long in three days, too. Kevin, is our daughter whatever? She said some words and I said some words. Hers were, you refused to shoot my prom date set on a subway platform. So Amber Heard did, and I was all, yeah, listen, I've been thinking, let's have sex. That's me to you, by the way, not me to Shailene Woodley, Marlene. Sex with you never again. Let me say one word to change your mind, Christmas. <laughs> That's two words. Christmas is two words. Dingus is right about that. You fucking idiot. But okay. I'm in the house, actually, 10 feet away. Come on in. <laughs> Probably dead. Hey, what was that ominous musical chord supposed to say? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Just thought I smelled daisies. It's <sighs> the wife, by the way, later. Ah, <clears throat> oh, the perfect... Oh, wait, she's not Costner. Ah, <clears throat> oh, the perfect ending to a late February release. A Christmas tree. By the way, honey, who was that sexy 22-year-old blonde putting that gift under the tree and creeping out the window? Thought I saw her running down pedestrians on the beach earlier. She's just my doctor. Don't worry, her vagina sickens me unless it's covered with a stack of medical tests. Aw, oh, I guess we're married again. Was I French? Here I am, Amber Heard, outside on a sand dune. <laughs> Kevin Costner's window. Fucking makes me shake my head. Uh, the end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. You don't even care what Costner says as long as he says it. <laughs> Your bar's too low. 
No, it's exactly that. <laughs> well, Kelly Wan, you know, I think that also applies to this movie, which I quite liked, what? even though I, think I knew you would. It's I a little awful. It's all over the place. A little awful. Good it Lord. is so weird. There are so many weird, weird well, things is, here. What is the tone of this movie? Will I don't tell know. Me? This tone of this movie is McGee just screwing around with whatever Luke Besson wrote, and I don't know, but. Good lord, I had a great time. Let's chop a girl's head off and then have a touching moment. What is going yeah. on? Ringtones. Oh, so uh, you like Almaty though? Your your bars? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I I remember this. So my thinking watching this, and we'll, you guys can weigh in here in a second. But my thinking watching this was uh, with this means war, which was fine. There was some cute stuff. You know, it's kind of funny to see Tom Hardy forced into doing a dippy romantic comedy, whatever. Uh, but this means war. There was nothing really that made that memorable or stand out for me. It was competent. Uh, it was a comedy. I think this does too, though. I think this movie knows that it's outrageous. But but this means war, a romantic comedy, very formulaic. Um, you can see that it's trying to be a vehicle for these two actors who are kind of up and coming. Uh, it folds Reese with a V vehicle. With, a what? A V vehicle. Is that Samber Heard's name in there? No, uh, she's uh, not. Very good. A vehicle. Very she's nice. She's not in this means war. I'm talking about this means war with Chris Pine and, and Tom Hardy. Like, lay, let's get these guys. They're up and coming. Let's put them in a romantic comedy. Sort of a vehicle for that. And there's no real opportunity for much playful. Well, it's certainly playful, but there's no real opportunity for McGee to do anything other than hit the beats on cue. Uh, and it worked fine. And I kind of enjoyed this means war. Um, and then. I also think of The Family, which was another recently Besson movie, uh, which I think he's credited with co-writing with someone else. And The Family was just horrible. And there was no – I don't – do we remember who directed that, by the way? No, but I liked Pfeiffer in it. Right, and there were some things, I mean, that you could tell she he, was He directed it. He directed it. He did direct it, okay. Yeah, well, so, The uh, Family, though, I thought was terrible and didn't really have – didn't really know what to do with its moments of outrageousness and with the typical, hey, here's some Americans trying to fit in with Frenchies. Ha ha, isn't this funny? So I, I kind of see Three Days to Kill as somewhere in between those two. Yeah. There's this formulaicness to it, but there's also this appreciation of its cliches and its outrageousness. Um, there's weird pacing, and, and, and sometimes when a movie doesn't know its tone, I find that jarring. But this thing, having weird tones back and forth, the little moments between Haley Steinfeld and Kevin Costner, some of them were really in earnest, the absolute ridiculous stuff with Amber Heard, who at certain times I thought was an imaginary character. I thought she was like a dying vision that he was having. Well, she, cause she's in a suit the first scene, and then for the rest of the movie... Well, her she's wardrobe Elizabeth thing. Hurley and bedazzled. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that's when she's undercover. She's wearing the suit to work in Washington, and then she goes undercover to Paris. And that weird opening. Well, there's that, that weird scene where she's in red. Where she's right. Based yeah. In red. That's clearly a dream. And that's why I'm thinking, yeah, because he's having, he's sort of reacting to the medicine. He's calling someplace he doesn't know what it looks like at the other end. So I'm thinking, ah, oh, this is his vision. She doesn't even exist. And it, that's not at all part of what the movie's trying to do. It's just a sign of how. I think McGee just kind of shrugged and decided to make some things outrageous. And I found it immensely entertaining. Uh, I, I prefer this 
any day of the week over something as kind of rote as Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, for instance, uh, because I kept thinking to, you know, to how bored I was in that movie versus in this movie, just whatever was going to happen around the next corner, I was looking forward to seeing. So I really liked this, even though I'm not claiming it's great. Uh, but I really did like this. Um, what happened with me was I forgot it was a McGee movie, and at the beginning I was, and I liked Kevin Costner's work in this movie a lot i think he's really good in it and i liked what he was doing but at the beginning i thought it was going to be the whole movie it was going to be three crazy days of him shooting and coughing up blood because i kind of enjoyed the opening of it and then <laughs> i thought it was going to be like dread we're being dingus we're like yeah it's a siege movie awesome didn't see that coming although there is one twisted this i actually thought was kind of cool but then there's no pay there's no follow through on it like i don't think it even i was a little unclear what even the impact was towards the end okay that one revelation but it was mostly three hours instead of three days of him like just getting henpecked by phone (laughs) (laughs) instead of shooting people but mcgee's not the worst action director and this is the first time i've ever thought that i always thought he was except for maybe like parts of full throttle um, no, like full throttle's immaculate. How dare you? I, I think of, there, was, there was a lot of action in This Means War that was pretty throwaway and, and yeah. forgettable, I thought. Yeah, but he doesn't even – it's not like he's trying to sell you it. He's just like it, – like, it happens so fast, he's just like, eh, you know, and then this shit happens. It's just he gives – I think he thinks he's better than he is, but at least Terminator – I think maybe Terminator taught him. Oh, God, you're right. That's McG too. Even See, though he doesn't – Break. He gets the break homonyms mixed up. But like, may, I think he's trying to be careful here uh, to, uh, to sort of hide the fact that he's got an older actor who can't fight with younger actors, and he does a great, <laughs> great job of shooting around that. Well, Dingus, what's your overall take then? Is this uh, how did you feel about this? Uh, I I got an increasingly dreadful feeling that it was a bad movie that I liked a lot. I mean, I mean, I I really liked I liked watching this movie a lot, and and, uh, and I even got swept up in some of the emotion of it. But that's just me. I'm an easy. Uh, I mean, I'm easy no, to get emotional. I'm not going to accept that. I will not accept that thing. Is because I do think there are instances of really good actors working with each other. I'm oh no, gonna... uh, I think I think Kevin Costner is amazing. I think I think there's I think I love Kevin Costner in this movie, and and I, I'm increasingly loving him as he goes on. So I think you're right about that. I think there's a, there's a weird sort of thing that that G does with directing actors where um, in this movie a lot of them seem like they're, they they have English as a second language with some of the line rings. Some of the line rings just freaked me out in this movie. Um, but uh, and and I di- and I didn't understand the tone. It's, it seems like this is there's this weird absurdity or or even uh, a farce nature yep. uh, combined with this weird earnestness. Um, and I and I kind of like that he's he's kind of swinging for the fences in a weird way. Um, so mm-hmm. I mean I I, I quite enjoyed watching it but i think there's a lot of it that's really bad i i mean i, I don't know what to do with this movie other than uh, i enjoyed watching it and got frustrated by some of the terrible writing and some of the scenes i mean what, i mean go ahead. What, what else did we recently see Haley steinfeld in where she was just completely wasted and they didn't oh, at with her? game Oh, God, that's right. She that was really Lord. But see, that's the thing, is watching this, I appreciated. And so, Dingus, when you say, oh, I got caught up in the emotion of it, but that's just me, I think you're kind of shortchanging that Haley Steinfeld is really good working with Kevin Costner. They have a really good connection. Good work. They have a fantastic connection that I, I don't want you to sell short, Dingus, the great work they were doing. Because I got caught up in that, too, and I can be pretty hard-ass, but I just thought they were both so good with each other. And the way that McGee did that bicycle 
uh, teaching. The, the editing if, of that is amazing. Yeah, because if you were to describe that, he teaches her how to ride a bicycle. I would roll my eyes and think, oh, that can't work. That's stupid. But the way it's edited together and there's some overlapping bits and it's very improvised. It felt improvised, and McGee knew enough to just let these two mm-hmm. actors to sort of preserve some of those moments, even though it did get sort of chopped up, and it, maybe because it got chopped up, and it, it that scene worked for me. Um, but the cliche of hmm? him him teaching her to ride a bike and dance, I mean, was a little too much. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> well, the dance thing, it seemed like that just needed to be the moment to bring Connie Nielsen back into the fold. Yeah, like it's all about him sort of returning to his family, and and that's kind of also one of the things. I mean, this isn't a. Th- I, I think a lot of people. I don't know how they're selling this. I meant to watch the trailer, but I think a lot of people might come to this thinking that it's going to be an action movie. And it's really not. It is yeah. a movie about Kevin Costner reconnecting with his family, and he just also happens to be a spy. So we're going to throw in some really stupid, convoluted, and at times just completely nonsensical spy stuff. Um, and, and ultimately, it's mainly about that family connection that he's trying to reestablish. Uh, and on that level, I think it's not a horrible movie. Um, I think I like, like it. Go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to say, I think all that's true. I think I'm personally just a little, like I told you before, the press just kind of burned out on that arc. Like, I think I've seen every dude reconnect with his family <laughs> for, like, in a way at work. When in real life, it's like, the chick's usually stoked the guy has a job, is, like, putting food on the table. I don't know. Like, why could he? It's fine. Kelly <laughs> <laughs> Wan just brought himself around. Right? Yes. <laughs> Uh, um, but I did think it was going to be like at the beginning. I go, oh, he's like, die- it's like John McClane. He's like diehard. He doesn't like the city. He's got a cold. It's the oh, shittiest God. day of his life. Well, you oh, know, it's going to be a great hotel. Kelly Wan, there are so many parallels between this and the Die Hard movie, aren't there? But I, I don't. I think that's a classic example of one is just flat out incompetent, and the actors don't care, and they're not connecting, and there's nothing that anybody's interested in putting on film in the Die Hard movie, and here. I just think there's just so much more to it. But you are totally right. They're the right. same movie. The Die Hard, the Die Hard movie lived, what did, Die Hard 5, what was that one called? Oh, that, I meant the good Die Hard. Oh, right, but the oh, terrible Die Hard. You don't mean John, Live Free or Die Hard? No, but the terrible one uh, set in another country, uh, with John McClane and his son reestablishing. That's the worst movie ever made. But that's the thing, is they're very similar, like, in terms right. of what the overall structure is. And Costner, and, and Bruce Willis phoned that piece of shit Exactly, in. right. And Costner, like, elevates this as much as it can be elevated. Well, Let's Bruce Willis about- was on his vacation, to be fair. <laughs> he didn't give a fuck. He was on his vacation both in his career and in that movie. I couldn't even no. tell, like... He- can, is he supposed to be good in Die Hard 5, like an awesome cop who can, like, because he runs over people in the truck? Same thing. It's like he's very good. Luke Besson writes these movies. This and the, and the family where the Americans go over and just fucking pwn the French. Does he hate his own kind? No, well, I mean, all you have to know about the, these two is that that's blunt force trauma. He's driving some giant Hummer vehicle over on top of other movies, and Kevin Costner is riding a bike. Oh, that's good. Exactly. And that, by the so, way, is where the movie – so if we remember in Shadow Recruit, Kevin Costner shows up with a dog, and it is adorable. But <laughs> the movie doesn't appreciate that, and it forgets about the dog. Yeah. I love that in Three Days to Kill, McGee did not forget about the purple bike. I kept waiting for yes. them, and, and maybe he even hit it a little too hard. Fair enough. But I would rather have that than just forget about it like that poor dog in Shadow Recruit. And uh-huh. he was even so careful not even to run over it or to blow it up in that little explosion. <laughs> Right. I love that. There's there's another moment where some other bike gets just totally smashed during the chase with the Peugeot. Yep, yep. Um, but the purple bike is not run over. It's it's right there underneath that vehicle that uh that Land Rover that gets blown up. 
but just the rear axle gets blown up, so the purple bike is. Right. And, and he uses it in a weird way, like not like you think he's going to use it as a premium blend. What's that movie called? Premium Rush. <laughs> I think I've done that before. But he uses it as a, as a jam the door, stop. right? Yeah, right. No, and, and that's the thing is, I think the movie, the fact that the movie was that conscientious about mm-hmm. what any other big mainstream movie would completely forget about, I, I value that, and and that meant a lot to me. Is those little kinds of touches? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so let's talk about Kevin Costner. I. Uh, I think one of the things that I really like, I, one of the things I love about movies is watching actors either grow up or grow older. Uh, you know, it's great watching kid actors who are really good get older and become adults. Uh, and I am loving watching Kevin Costner get older. Uh, I, I saw him about, I don't know, five, six years ago in a weird little horror movie called, uh, The New Daughter. And The New Daughter is about Kevin Costner. It, it's a metaphor for a father unable to understand his daughter going through puberty and how that's difficult for a father. And and what I'm describing is, is probably far more thoughtful than what the movie actually does because in this movie, Kevin Costner's daughter gets taken over by ant people and she becomes like what? an ant. Yeah, she becomes like a, a facet of the hive mind of these these mound people ant creatures is it good uh, no, you're good at no no it's not but the thing is watching it you're like oh it could be a metaphor for a father not understanding you know what it's like a girl becoming a woman like that that right there <laughs> that's like my kind of intellectual chin strokey interpretation of it uh but i remember watching it it's a terrible movie and he ends up having to blow up his daughter whatever um wait I, what so that she <laughs> gets taken over by these yeah. mound these mound creatures and she becomes like a bug creature and he has to go into this little mound thing with a can of gas to blow it up to try to rescue his daughter and if I recall correctly he can't he has to burn her like it has this terrible bleak ending and then the mound creatures get him um, but it's a terrible low budget horror oh, thanks, movie. Nick. <laughs> It's called- I didn't know what. Tell me everything that happens to the last Don't scene. <laughs> Do not Jesus. See the Do not see By the way, he dies in the last scene. Don't see the new daughter. I'm trying to dissuade you from seeing it. It's terrible. Well, yeah, now and, you've and my point- a good face against seeing it now. Thank you. But my point being, at the you time... Trailer. <laughs> my point being, at the time, I remember watching this and thinking, oh, I guess this is what's become of Kevin Costner. Is he just, he's only going to do stuff like this? Uh, he's going to be—he's going to be one of these guys who's just doing crappy B horror movies, like he's another, you know, Edward Furlong or something. Like we've lost him. Uh, but I'm—I'm I'm just so elated to see him doing stuff like this, like his little role in Shadow Recruit. Um, Upside of Anger was about that time, but it was a little tiny part. Uh, and he's just, I really liked him in this. I have a theory that actors do their best work after they make their biggest piece of shit. Like whatever <laughs> McConaughey made before, like his mud Dallas Buyers Club. Of course, Magic Mike's, you're, you like that. But like, it's like after making enough rom-coms and are always like, look, I can do this. I can do True Detective. So when will we see a great Sam Worthington performance, Kelly Wand? Um, well, he sucks. No matter what continent he's on. What were you going to say? I cut you off to talk about nothing. No, just, I mean, I, I just really like what Kevin, I, I really like seeing Kevin Costner do this. And I kind of felt like I, I, I thought we'd lost him. And I, yeah, and he felt very specific. Like he made a character out of nothing almost. It, it really was like, uh, yeah. The way he moved and stuff and just didn't. Well, and you made fun of his voice hated. earlier, but even, yeah. like Just the, to make you laugh. I think he's, yeah. But wait, he has the cold at the beginning of the movie, and that's set up, and then later, no, that's, it's that's months no, later. That's no cold, that's Kelly. No, that's no cold. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, it's no fatal disease either. Or does it give him a throat issue? One of the things I really loved is that uh, I, as we started the movie, I'm like, are we going to have to have this cough for the whole movie? And then uh, and then Haley Stifle goes, you should take something for that. It's really annoying. <laughs> But it just looks so weathered, too. I love that about him. I love yeah. the lines in his face, and I love how his head is shaped kind of funny, and his hair does weird things. And I, I just, and, and still, he cleans up nice. Like the, when he's, he so, he's the suit, a sexy dude. I mean, what are you going to do? Whoa, dang, it's easy. I wasn't going to go that far. Yeah, I'm happy to go that far. I think he's, I think he's really cool, and he's, he's like this, this. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Dingus. I hit him. Sexy. <laughs> okay, we're not ready for Britain yet. I uh, just. I, I really, really liked him in this. He's, he's one of those dudes who looks the same even when he's old. Does he though? Because I don't know. Like you know, actually, go back and watch it. His face is the same shape. Kelly doesn't make a bad point because if you think about what he looked like in Dances with Wolves, he looked. He had to look a little weathered in that. I mean, not, not the way he looks like here. I mean, I do like this trend of actors. Um, like, like we said this when we watched Night and Day, how Tom Cruise and, and Cameron Diaz allowed themselves to look their age, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really, really like that, but maybe it's just because I'm, you know, a, a guy in his middle ages or whatever. Um, but I really like the way Kevin Costner looks in this, and, and I think he's been undervalued as an actor. I mean, yeah. there are things I really, really like about him. And, uh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Dances with Wolves, what am I going to tell you? But, uh, but when he showed up in Upside of Anchor, which I don't think is that, that small a role, I think he does a really... That was one of my favorite performances. That was my favorite supporting performance of 2005, I think. That's 2005? Uh, that's 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wait, what? what was... What was it's, called, it's called Upside of Anchor, and, uh, oh. and it was... It was just oh, this, where have you been? He just he crops up and he does this great job. I think is uh, I don't know maybe a retired baseball player who works at a radio station. I don't really remember the the specifics of it, but I remember just being blown away by how relaxed and confident, and yet he's playing a sort of an incompetent loser character. I mean, he does such a wonderful job. This really was one of my favorite performances. And there's an amazing schlubby charm to him in Upside of Anger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Voldemort, he was the old dude, too. Like, And that was 30 years ago. Ah, very good. Yeah, good. good. It's good at that. Yeah. Sorry, Tom, what were you going to say? Well, this almost... Should I see that Postman movie? Because isn't he, uh, he? There's a post-apocalypse movie. Well, not I'm, I'm a postman apologist. I actually, oh. really, I liked that movie. Um, who, who is that? Is that Kevin Reynolds? Did he direct that? No, he did. Costner did. Costner did. Oh, Costner directed. He broke postman? up with Kevin Reynolds twice over Robin Hood and over Waterworld. And Waterworld's got a really good opening too. It's kind of he's good for ten minutes. Yeah, I like to say, Tom. I, I liked Postman more than I. That I was expecting it to be horrible, and I liked it more. I never saw Open Range, and I always wanted to. What the heck is that? That's a cartoon. Oh, it's Western, bro. No, that's a cartoon about chickens. <laughs> Dingus, Silverado, right? Silverado, Kevin Costner is not in. Oh, my God. You're thinking of Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. I do like Kevin Costner, though, in A Fish Called Wanda. I do think he's really funny <laughs> in that movie with his stutter and everything. You're only trolling he's, yourself. He's better in Soap Dish, but I do like him in... <laughs> uh, uh, I like talk- when he directed Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> I right, have a brother. <laughs> I have I have a brother. I have a brother. Oh, that's right. Christian Slater's his brother. Spoiler. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's. Isn't is that he... the Isn't that the reveal in Robin Hood that Christian Slater is his brother? Yeah, and that's his line. I have a brother. Right. I have a brother, and that's how he says it. 
Right. And that's the movie where Alan Rickman promises to do things with dinner utensils. <laughs> I believe. Why Alan spoon, Rickman. cousin? Right. It's got comical rape in it, too. Uh, comical it. rape. Which, by the way, that, that is something I was not crazy about in this. this. Ah! Yeah, I have a theory about that. Explain what you're uncomfortable with, Dingus. I, I don't like the, I don't like the male power fantasy, uh, element of, uh, she goes to a club and what we have to go to is date rape. And we're just gonna mess around with rape for a few minutes and then he's gonna save her from her little rape. Oh, yeah. That felt like a story note. So I think it's actually, um, I think it's a Luc Besson thing, uh, and here's why. Yeah, uh, you're right about that. Guy. Uh, has either of you seen Taken? You guys have both seen Taken, right? Of course. Uh, so the point of Taken is uh, Taken is ostensibly Liam Neeson is a badass guy rescuing his daughter. But I think the undercurrent that that drives Taken is this father <laughs> feeling like I need my daughter to understand if she goes out in the world, there are terrible things. Yeah. Uh, and I need to be vindicated in how much I'm nagging her about that. So I'm going to make a movie where the worst possible thing happens and the fa- only the father can save the daughter from these things. And Taken, the whole movie is about, you know, Maggie Grace gets kidnapped and sold into white slavery, uh, just d- d- arriving at the airport in Paris, because that's what can happen when a, you know, a young girl goes to Paris alone. So her dad, who had warned her, he has to go save her. So I think that's a little bit of I get the same sense from that weird... Did Desan wrote Taken? Didn't he? I don't know. You know what? It might be another... uh, It might be the transporter dude. Maybe it's just a French thing, Kelly Wand. Um, (laughs) But but it it strikes me as the same thing in Taken, this idea that only, you know, the father needs his his daughter to be careful out there. uh, So here's a power fantasy about how he's going to rescue her from the worst case scenario in his imagination about what it's like... When she goes out with... Yeah, where's her boyfriend that night? It's my fun question. But he's supposed to be good. And they set up, like, and again, another weird... I don't don't know about uncomfortable, because there's so many weird things in the movie. But they set up some weird moment where... Was his name Hugo or Hugh or... Real football. It's Hugh, yeah. Yeah, where he lures her into... It looks like he's going to lure her into a soundproof room, but I guess the purpose of that was it so they could intercut between her kissing Hugh in the action scene and explain why she can't hear the gunshots. Like, I had no idea what was uh, going on with that scene or if he was going to turn out to be a bad guy. And I don't even remember how it resolved or if it did. It uh, doesn't. I think the design uh, of that is so that we're not worried that a stray bullet is going to kill her. I have no idea. <laughs> but what about the mom, though? I mean, she's right there in the thick of it. Oh, God. she's so. I think she's horrible in this. Cardi Nielsen? Yeah, I really do. <gasps> Dingus is so mean. I she, looks, she looks hot, and, and Kevin Costner great. totally sells that sort of when she's, like, giving him his blankets for the couch. Um, you know, are you going to need I'll something to help sleep? Yeah. Yeah. I, now I am. Uh, I love that stuff, but but... It's, it, but it's kind of a thankless role. I mean, she disappears from most of the oh, movie and they comes all, back and oh, pulls her hair out in that party scene. Just don't stop you, man. No, that's awesome. She's yeah. Cardi Nielsen was fantastic. You can do no, I couldn't stand her in this. <laughs> Dingus, you're so mean to Cardi Nielsen. Wow. When Dingus hates on an actor, he really fucking hates him. I uh, know. To, to talk He's like hate. Amber Heard's vagina. I, no, oh, I, I am like Amber Heard's vagina in that I hate her. I, I think <laughs> what? I, I love her normally. General? I think she is the worst in this. No, she's hilarious. She's like she's hilarious. She's, she's, bad. Yeah. she's yeah. hilarious, but she's she gets terrible the in the movie. Yeah. She's no, terrible she's, in the movie. No, she's uh, terribly hilarious. About? That's uh, terrible. She's, she's everything she's 
called on to do. Yeah, exactly. To wear those outfits and to deliver outrageous dialogue. Uh, (sighs) To make you uncertain if she's real. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Can I accept that I, I didn't understand the interpretation? Because if she's supposed to be like some sort of uh, thing in his mind, great. But otherwise, no, no. she's just That's crazy. The... See, Dingus, any actor can show up and make you think he's actually a part right. of the movie. It really takes skill to show up and make you wonder if you're seeing a dream sequence or a hallucination. That's a good and point. that's what Amber Heard brings to this project, Dingus. Well, then I think you should get like Samuel Jackson to play this part, and he should believe it's Amber Heard. I don't know what Dingus is referencing, Kelly Wand. Robocop. Oh, <laughs> I forgot Samuel Jackson was in that. Uh, some things that I did think were terrible. <laughs> uh, forgot. So, so uh, there were times in this movie that I thought that, and Dingus, you mentioned something about the, the dialogue. I think there's a problem with the ADR in this. Like the way some oh. scenes are dubbed is <sighs> terrible. Some of the makeup is horrible. There are a few scenes where Amber Heard looks like she's wearing pancake makeup. Some of the lighting, and I normally don't care about this enough to notice it, but some of the lighting is horrible in that it looks like actors are in, in different scenes. Like it'll switch back and forth uh, between two actors, and it looks like they're standing in completely different scenes because the lighting is inconsistent. So there was a lot on this Gee. movie that just seemed really low budget and cheap and amateurish that drove me crazy. Did either of you notice stuff like that? Oh yeah, I did. I totally did. That morning after the rape scene, when they're bathed in light in the French morning, like when she wakes up, yeah, it, it's clearly that they're they're being thrown by a spotlight or something. Exactly, spotlight Terrible. with a big old huge reflector. Yeah, like any time that I'm made aware of that, especially when I'm enjoying a movie, something is terribly wrong. Yeah, and when when she, when it focuses on Emmert's face and she says at the end, "Kill the wolf," it's clear that she said, "Get me an ice cream cone." I mean, her, her mouth is not even not even coming close. <laughs> That's right, right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there was, however, there were a few times where I thought it looked great. There's a million dollar shot in this movie, and I don't know, I, I don't know how it's so the same, was, sorry. I don't know how it's the same people that did the the mismatch lighting. But there's one shot where he's out at night eating the the sushi that he brought to the Malanese family, and there's a shot it's of the Chinese metro behind him. Take out. It's not sushi. How dare you? It was sushi. You could see him eating the rice balls with the fish in it. It was totally Chinese sushi. Chinese takeout. Uh, but there's a, a shot of the Metro, and then it, the, the camera goes around, and there's the Eiffel Tower behind him. I mean, there were a few really uh, yeah, shots. Yeah, that was beautiful. You're right. Yeah. But for the most part, I was like, what? Who? who is this somebody's student film? What's going on here? It also, the music. Did the music remind you of anything at any point? The score music? Dark Knight? Not, uh, no, for it's me. It's never talking to me. For me, there was this weird, uh, in, in a couple of moments, in a couple of very specific moments, I don't... I can't tell you what the moments were, but I remember the actual moment. I remember sitting there and thinking that this was there was this very much Vangelis uh, oh. vibe <laughs> to the music. It was very weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. I do. I do remember a few times thinking, "What is that? What they're going to play?" Oh, okay, whatever. Go with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So there you go. Three days to kill. Kelly Wand. <laughs> what would be your favorite line from Amber Heard in this movie? Costner was awesome, as Kaiser says. Uh, one, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty to three, I'm caught in between, counting one, two, three. Actually, I'm quite fond of him doing the voice work for Gertie in Moon. That would be one of my favorite Costner bits. Yeah, he does, do, he does a great job. Yeah. He was really great when he directed Clerks. <laughs> oh, right. I just got that one. That one took me a moment, Kelly. Tick-tock, tick-tock. 
Kelly Wan said something. TikTok. Also, um, does anybody believe that Haley Steinfeld's character knows what a Chia pet is? Well, maybe they're making a comeback in France. <laughs> oh, that's right. Everything's a little slower over there. Yeah. That's why I came back to Paris. Uh, uh, let's do a three by three. Let's do, do it. Yeah, what, what do you guys think of this one? I, I don't like this one anymore. I'd like to change it. So There's I introduced... too many choices. There's too much stuff here. Mm. Good. Well, I'm glad you have something because I don't like what I came up with. All right. This week's three by three uh, is prayer in movies. Uh, I mentioned... This was yours, Tom? It was mine, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, this surely sounds like a dingus one. Yeah, it kind of can't did. be yours. Well, I, I mentioned a scene in Dallas Buyers Club where you see Matthew McConaughey praying in a church, and the camera pulls back, and oh, it's not a church, it's a strip club. Uh, and I, I kind of liked that scene, and it got me thinking there must be other cool scenes of characters praying. But one of the things that, well, we'll get into this, but uh, so what I want to hear from you guys are. are Scenes about praying, scenes featuring praying that you like. Why do you like them? Um, I don't know that I could come up with good stuff because, partly because, so many movies, religion is such a marginal factor in so many movies. And some of my favorite movies about religion don't necessarily have prayer. They don't. Because the whole movie is the prayer. In a way, yeah. Uh, and a lot prayer of. Prayer isn't always about religion, though. Ah, one of mine's not. <laughs> Uh, Dingus, Maybe. I can't go with you there. You're gonna have to explain that. No. Nope. Sometimes <laughs> it's Dingus. Some, sometimes it's a, a call. It's just a, a a call of your soul out. It's not really necessarily about religion. I mean, those are two different things. I think. Dingus, there's a difference between prayer and a monologue. Um, Isn't it just begging? So to let me cross Hamlet off. The universe. <laughs> well, there is a prayer scene fate. in Hamlet, but it's not the monologue. I mean, there are also monologues in Hamlet. Uh, Wait, wait, there are? No, come on. A prayer is necessarily a monologue, isn't it? No, because I don't don't think, well, you know, this can be something that we talk about, but I think of a prayer, and this is part of what I was looking for when I was looking for (laughs) as as somebody addressing something higher than his or herself. Like prayer, and that's a question. (laughs) See, prayer is a religious act. Um, You know, I really actually, I like that. I actually like what you just said. Because it goes, it really goes nicely. It's like when the, when he mentions the topic, he's all, no questions, Kelly Wad, that's it. And then the next week, he's like, by the way, what I meant was, this is what prayer No, if you have a different idea, I'd I'd love to hear about it in movies. But when I was thinking about it, and and the strict definition of prayer, and I'm going to break it a little bit in one of my picks, is someone addressing himself or herself to, to God or to some divinity. It's not just someone talking out loud. I mean, that's not what prayer is. Um, (laughs) <laughs> well, okay. I love that you just said that because it, re- it kind of justifies my uh, w- uh, pick that I thought was going to break. Well, good. Yeah. Let's get into these because I say, don't – Say what you said again though. Prayer is what now? Um, I don't re- – Well, you said something, something really nice there. So I, I, I'm someone, sure we'll, we'll – Is someone addressing him or herself to something – is addressing yourself to something higher, whether it's God or divinity? Uh, if you're just talking out loud to yourself, if you're just delivering a monologue in, say, a theatrical production, that's not prayer because you're not reaching out to something other. Uh, or even, you know, well, one of my picks involves Buddhism, uh, and that's different than the conventional Western idea of talking to a, a, a monotheistic god. Um, but prayer is addressing something beyond yourself, I, I think. But it's also something that has to happen in the future, you're not like, fuck, they're out of oranges. Future? <laughs> what? Well, you're, you're begging for something that's going to happen. You're not like, by the way, thanks for that thing. You don't know that story. prayer is always a request, though. 
Well, let's get. Oh, into I thought it is. Let's, See, I don't know anything. Well, let's get yeah, into our particular picks, and, and I love the fact that people have different concepts of this. We actually got. I didn't <laughs> respond to this. We got nine submissions, so I'm curious. That's to a lot. What the listeners have to say. Uh, let's oceans. start. Let's start with you, Dingus. So you are introducing next week's topic. So why don't you start us off uh, with your number three pick for prayer in a movie? Well, after all this highfalutin talk, I feel bad because my third one's a little bit goofy. Goofy is fine. Third, goofy. I'll make you feel better with all mine. <laughs> all right, so here's here's the prayer in question. Uh, dear God, thank you for all your blessings. You've given me so many things. Can right. I finish this line, Dingus? Yeah, go ahead, because I'm sure you have one, too. You've given me so many things like good health, nice parents, a nice truck, and what I'm told is a large penis. And I'm oh, very grateful. <laughs> what I'm told is a large penis, and I'm very grateful. Oh, that's better than your mind. Damn it! All right, what's this from, Dingus? This seems is, too hard. Wait, is this me. one of my picks, or is this a runner? Should be. Uh, so, Dingus, what is this from? Tell us about it. Uh, this is from the movie Election. Um, there's a lot of prayers in the movie Election, actually. Um, and when Tom first mentioned this, I remember the sequence of the different characters praying. Uh, but this is Paul uh, speed praying, I guess. Um, this. No one knows what that was. <laughs> I know. That's fine. <laughs> This is Chris Klein playing Paul Metzler, and he's he's uh, thanking the Lord, but he's also praying about the election that's coming up. Um, and I just love that moment where he where he says, "And I'm told, and what I'm told is a large penis." And I'm very because <laughs> he's ingenuous about it. He's not even bragging. Well, oh, you're... he's totally in yeah. earnest, and he's super, and nervous. he's so uh, his prayer. It does have this Heartfelt. feeling of. Him actually believing that he's talking to somebody who mm-hmm. talks to him on his level, and there's and, and there's no sense of of him being ironic or anything like that. He's just this beautiful character. I mean, the the others like his his sister. Um, is it? I think it's Tammy. Tammy. Uh, yep. If she's uh, elected, she won't do anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when she's praying, it has a whole different. Uh, cast to it, and I just love Paul's prayer. So what what I love about that that sequence in particular, and not just Paul's prayer, there's plenty of voiceover in Election, by the way. Election is shot through with voiceover, and it's part of what, I think it's an important part of what makes it work. But this is kind of like the song in Les Miserables before the uh, big third act finale where they're all going to go to the barricades, where everybody yeah. sings about how they feel. This is the equivalent of that in Election, where the night before the election, I think it's just the three characters. It's Tracy Flick, Tammy Metzler, and Paul Metzler. It shows them praying. In, I think they're all in bed at night. Uh, and it shows them praying about the election the next day. And it's that same kind of thing about this is leading up to the big climactic event. Um, but what I love about that scene is that each of the prayers tells us about those characters, and it is Alexander Payne using this movie and using prayer specifically to show us how petty and stupid people are. Uh, and it's a very cynical, you know, it's 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 like sideways. Uh, it's it's Alexander and Payne. And well, if you're into that sort of thing, it was. Uh, <laughs> but but it's very it's it's a lot of insight into those characters, uh, and I and I love that. Like I love how earnest, but kind of stupid. Like to, to thank God for you having a nice for having a nice truck and a big dick. Like that's a kind and of and not stupid. being douchey, like being cute. Like he turns out like cute. Well, but he's set up as a really right. naive fellow. Innocent, like the truth. Yeah, yeah, innocent and kind of dense. Um, and and but he's one of the nicest guys though in this movie about these very mean. Pe- people 
Um, right. But all of them have a very different prayer, and it's insight into their different character. Uh, and I love that sequence, not just because of Paul's prayer, but because of how different all theirs are. Because Tammy right. even says something like, and I apologize for the word I'm about to use, but Tammy even says something like, and dear God, please don't let that cunt Tracy win the election tomorrow. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, you can't talk that way. To God. There's but, a lot of, yeah, but I love it because because of how because of the commentary on how prayer is used right, right, um, right. in popular culture. Because I've long held this, I cannot stand it when, and I don't watch football anymore, but I can't stand it when somebody crosses the into the end zone and makes a touchdown and kneels down and prays to God because I'm all I can think of is God has plenty of other stuff to do. He didn't help you make this touchdown. It's out. ego disguised as humility because it's them going, "Thank God gave me gave me this talent." Like it's them actually peacocking. But what I love about Paul's is that he's just so earnest and simple, and and he succeeds, and and even though he's been injured uh, be, and can't be the football hero right now um i just love that character so much and i love the way chris klein plays it in that prayer the way he says that the things about being happy that he has a big penis um or not being happy just being thankful that he has a big truck and a big penis it's just so in that order it's just it's just so it's not even earnest might be the wrong word he's just this is the way it is and i thank you for this lord just as much as we would thank the lord for this food that he's put upon our table and i really like that and they're even the way it's written though because he's not thanking god for having it's and i thank you for what i'm told is what i'm told is like yeah. he's not even sure and there's this weird kind of humble brag about yeah. it like i don't know but i've been told it's big and also uh, apparently i'm sinning by fornicating but i'm not going to cover that <laughs> Uh, but by the way, I can't, I'm really happy that you brought Les Miserables because all week, ever the moment you mentioned this topic, I bring him home has been running through my head. That the prayer from Miserables, and I and I haven't brought it. I didn't bring it up in this because I didn't watch the movie and it's a play anyway. Uh, that would have been so great if Russell Crowe had sung it. <laughs> Jeez, how dare you! <laughs> all right, Kelly Wan, what is your number three pick for a favorite prayer in a movie? You know what? It's so much stupider. I'm going to say that Angus is... Oh, by the way, Tom, is that one of yours, or was it a runner-up? It was a runner-up, yeah. All right. It's too good. So that's my number three. It's too good? Yeah. <laughs> You're appropriating election for your number three? Yeah, I'm deciding that's a rule you can do now. <laughs> my list, I'm too bad at this. But if you know. hadn't appropriated election, what would you have chosen? 40 Days and 40 Nights. The vampire one, or the thing where he doesn't have sex. I confused them. He's in both of them, which is weird. He's, obsessed, he's he's always in the number. Oh, 40, 40 so Ashton Kutcher, the poor man's Chris Klein. Wait, can I say the Noah trailer? You guys are confusing me. What? No, don't say anything about the Noah trailer. I didn't what know if it's going to be well, Then you're going to have to say it while Dingus yeah. and I sit here and go la 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 la. And don't listen. And so like every number three. It's a trailer. Three. Yeah, exactly. A trailer is not a movie. Three, three Forty days of night is the vampire thing. Forty days and forty nights is Josh Hartnett not having sex, right? Thirty days of night. Stop it. Oh. <laughs> I was it's close. Shorter. He has. He goes without sex longer than he does without food. Uh, and what is the prayer in that movie? Uh, he prays not to have sex till spring break. I think. So you don't. So he prays not to. Like he's just going. He's going. Well, that's why I wanted my dingus is number three. Why can't I leapfrog him? <laughs> well, can you at least tell us about it? What it is, so we know. Because I have not seen. I don't know about dingus. I've not seen Forty Days and Forty Nights. Ah, really. I, I am a, I have seen the Lego movie. I've not seen the Lego movie. Oh, that's what I meant. 
I have not seen Josh Hartnett's fine work with Harrison Ford in Hollywood Homicide. I haven't seen that either. Let's watch that, Uh listeners. You know what, though? I got to say, like, I like as a kid, I didn't get the concept of prayer Mm -hmm. because I was it's kind of like crossword puzzles where it was like I was never sure that I was doing it right. I remember once at a church camp I used to go to, uh, someone telling us that when you're praying and like you have an itch on your nose or something, that's the, that's the devil trying to distract you. What? <laughs> that's a really freaky thing to tell a kid, isn't it? <laughs> in in preschool, we were digging in the sand one time, and a kid raised some red clay up from under, like he dug two feet under the sand. He's all, this is the devil's butthole. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's really shallow for that. Like, All right, so uh, pop quiz. Oh, yes. uh, what director will direct The Devil's Butthole? Go. Uh, Rob Zombie? No, absolutely not. I would have to say, um, um, comment, who's the Pacific Rim guy? Uh, oh, uh, oh, Rim, really? No, that's not where I was going. Because Devil Jackson, Guillermo del Toro, del Toro. Yeah, that does sound like because it's the sort of thing. It's the sequel to Backbone. Well, no, no, it's the sort of thing that sounds like it would sound cool in Spanish, like La Diablo de Orofiso. Why you got to say racist? You racist? (laughs) You in Spanish? That would be a really cool. Listen to the podcast. Oh, sorry to Kelly's sister. Survives. Okay, my number three pick, and I don't know how I feel about this. Um. Hmm. Still fine. Uh, I watched the scene again, and I, I get so in United ninety three opens, and one of the things I tried to do with this. Oh, this is good. I couldn't this go with this. I wanted to do prayers that weren't uh, Christian prayers. Like I want to do prayers from other religions. Um, so uh, one one of the things that really sticks with me about the opening of United ninety three, which is Paul Greengrass's movie about. Uh, United 93 being hijacked on 9-11 and the passengers storming the cockpit and uh, crashing the plane. Um, it opens with the hijackers in their hotel rooms getting ready in the morning. And because they're, they're Muslims, it shows them praying. You know, it shows them praying. It also shows them shaving themselves where they can tape like the box cutters and the fake bomb and stuff to their body. Uh, but in the course of getting ready, it's very clear about them being Muslims. It shows them praying. It shows the lead hijacker reading the Quran. Uh, and I kind of think, like, why did he do that? And I don't I, – there, there's so much about United 93 that is strictly observational that is just portraying events. You know, Paul Greengrass doesn't come at it with uh, much opinion or even judgment. I mean, it's a horrible thing that happened, of course. But the, the fact that he opens by showing us that these are devout Muslims doing this. And I feel strongly that 9-11, of course, was not a religious act. It was, it was an act of terror. It was more a political act that happened to be committed by Muslims. There's nothing inherent in Islam that makes them terrorists or do terrible things. Um, so I'm very conflicted about United 93 opening with these men in a hotel room going through their morning prayer. Uh, and I kind of appreciate it. I mean, it's how dispassionate the movie is about showing what happened. But I'm also kind of torn, like with with this, with there is there being Muslims being such a prominent part and the opening fact about them in the movie. Dude, uh, it's totally relevant. I mean, it is a religious fact because they thought they were going to have like all the virgins or whatever. Uh, I say it's, it's it's a religious act in the same sense that. The people who committed the Holocaust were Christians, but no one calls it a Christian act. Mm. Nazi Germany was uh, mm. was very much based. No, 
maybe this is a bad okay i remember and this isn't on my list and i doubt it's on either of yours but like don't they do that in munich too like they show a prayer and then they jump the fence at the beginning of munich uh, do you mean uh, the Jews or the the, no, the other terrorists, the Palestinian terrorists? Yeah, the Palestinian terrorists. I don't remember. I mainly so it's a terrorism thing. It's like a circle, a uh, prayer circle. Well, but they're Christian terrorists too, and that doesn't mean that that Christian terrorism is a religious act. It might religion might be behind it. I think, but the it James Bond villains never do it. Okay, well they're not Muslims. Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't, you know what? Maybe that's uh, so. The the Islam, you know, the the fact that the the, the that Al Qaeda is a, is a Muslim organization is is a radical Muslim organization is relevant. You are right, but I don't feel that there, there's so much that in the movie it was meant to be a comment on that. I don't know that it was meant to be a comment. It was like I say. I think the movie was more an observation than a comment or sure. a judgment, uh, and. I appreciate that about it so much because that's such a delicate subject matter. But it, it's all—it's just so striking to me, and I feel conflicted about it that it opens with their Islam, with them being Muslims, as, as such a fundamental fact. It's like this is the first thing we're going to show you about these guys. Bank robbers don't. But I do feel though that <laughs> that that 9/11 was not a religious act. There's nothing inherent mm. in Islam that led to 9/11. But wasn't Osama bin Laden's case like his? Didn't he get offended because we were in the we were in the Holy Land and we defiled it? And is, is that it, a religious based? Uh, there's, but see, there's there's some Muslims like that's not something that's you're saying exploited it. Well, well, Osama bin Laden was, you know, what he did. Osama bin Laden was basically a political leader, a radical. He was an opportunist, and he used radical religious followers to execute a political agenda. Uh, and I, they're I, patsies. Okay, well, and so you're saying the movie is kind of showing that side, like how these guys were patsies for. I don't fucking know. Well, the thing is, get in here. I don't. I, I guess I should say. I, I don't, don't think I get Tom's point, but maybe I'm just. My point is, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable seeing that. I'm so I'm uncomfortable with so much of United ninety three, but I'm kind of uncomfortable, and I think Paul Greengrass knows that when I'm watching it, right. and I so wonder why discomfort. he did it. Yeah, uh, and 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 I'm and that just is so striking to me that United ninety three opens with that prayer and that I am watching that uncomfortable, thinking that there are so many Muslims who do that. You know, there are millions upon millions of Muslims who do that every morning who wouldn't dream of of murdering bystanders, innocent bystanders for a political agenda. Well, uh, is it any different than saying grace? I mean, is it any different than a family that sits down and ritually says grace three times? Oh, day? yes, exactly. I see what you're saying, Dingus. Not at all. It's not. And so, if if somebody if somebody says grace and then goes out and murders somebody, it, the, those things aren't necessarily con- necessarily Correct. connected. Correct. Um, but it does put us in mind of I don't say grace before I eat, but I I have family that that's I can't sit down to a meal with them and they don't. Um, that informs who they are as characters, but it doesn't mean that their religion is part of their behavior in every aspect. But it does give context to their character. I mean, I I, I understand your what you're talking about with being uncomfortable with that, and I love the pick because I didn't think about it. And I and I you know the scene is the the way the scene is shot too. It's almost like you're peeking through the cracks of open doors at them. Right. Like, it, it, and it, it's very much a facet of how Paul Greengrass uses a handheld camera. But there's clearly the sense that you're spying on these guys during a very uh, personal it, moment. It also makes me curious, and 
Is there prayer in? Is there? Are there any prayers used in Four Lions? That's a good question. I don't think because they certainly go to. I think the idea is that they're at a Taliban training camp at some point, but I don't remember that Four Lions played much with the angle of Islam. I mean, definitely one of them. They were all Muslims, uh, but I don't remember. Yeah, like it was clear they were all Muslims in Four Lions. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, they're kind of. I mean, and so we're sort of like blending the ideas of religion and ethnicity and race and wondering. Where where do those things cross over? And I'm wondering if there's a moment I don't remember four lines well enough. But but when you talk about this moment, and I can he- as soon as you said it, I can sort of hear the music playing in my head um, uh, in 1993. And I think it's a great pick, and I I really like the way you're you're couching it actually. In, in four lines, actually, there is a lot of stuff about like the role of men and women and husbands and wives. Like there is some of that. Four lines does have a lot of cultural insight. Uh, but I forget how much of it is specific to being to them being Islamic versus them being w- what countries they're from. Um, I, I was struck too watching it um, when the plane is going down and, and as everything is falling apart. Uh, I think there might be one couple that's praying, but for the most uh. part, the the people, the victims on the jet are are uh, on phones calling their families and and a lot of times leaving messages, uh, which is a different. It's not prayer and it's strictest sense of the word but it's this different kind of like reaching out beyond yourself uh right before your death like knowing uh, right very striking some well, previous generations couldn't do that so they had to get by with prayer uh and you can yeah, even see bones. some of them are using those phones that you pull out like it's on the headrest in front of you i don't even think planes still have those do they uh, <laughs> that's a very like retro tech do kids write texts to santa claus now on christmas like little kids oh, that's adorable kelly wand yeah but they put cookies in the text <laughs> oh web browser humor thanks dingus damn <laughs> dingus what is your number two favorite instance of prayer in a movie all right here's a quote from it it's not from the the prayer but it's about the prayer i lost my gun today oh very nice because i was wondering well yeah. men in black <laughs> kelly wand do you really not know this one uh, there's a dumb. lot of there's a lot of prayer in this movie this is from the movie magnolia oh yeah uh, there's a lot of it, but my, my favorite are two prayers of Officer Jim Curring. Um, <laughs> can I do a line from one of his prayers real quick? Dingus? Yes, please Fine. do. Here we go. Did you hear that? Doesn't he, like, clap, like, after a prayer? Yes. He's, like, kneeling, he prays, and he claps to get up, like, let's go. Okay, now, almost like a football thing or something. Um, but the, my, my two favorite ones are, are right after he's asked her out, he's asked Claudia out. And he's in the car, and he's just having a monologue with himself, basically. And it, the monologue moves into a prayer. It's basically like, "You've brought this girl into my life, and I'm not going to mess this up, God." I mean, it's this this declaration to some other power that that I, you know, th- this is the kind of day I live for. That that this is the, these are the kind of calls I look I look forward to. And and this and now that you've brought this to me, Lord, I'm not going to mess this up. Thank you. But but my absolute favorite is when he is just stumbling out there in the rain with his flashlight. He's lost his gun and he can't find it. And he's basic and he's basically just saying, "Lord, what did I do wrong? What have I done wrong in my life?" I mean, I could quote the prayer, but it's better just to look at the scene where he's, he's basically he's just saying, "What have I done wrong? Whatever I've done wrong, I fix it. Help me find my gun." It's that moment of 
of where you're begging, <laughs> where you're begging this higher power. I, I'm in such exigency, or whatever word you want to use. Uh, I will, I will do anything. I'll promise anything. I will change anything. Whatever I did, I will change it. Help me find my gun. Um, and I love, I love the way uh, John C. Riley plays. Yeah, remember when John C. Riley was doing stuff other than just being a clown? Yes, I do. <laughs> what did I just see him in a trailer for? Probably something with Will Ferrell. or something? No, it's something weird. It was I would like, love to see like, him in Expendables. He's in Noah or Expendables. Stop it with Noah talk. Comment, <laughs> John C. Riley plays... Never mind. He plays Ham. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he's embarrassed. Remember when Melora Walters just had one line in Short Term 12? So sad. Remember when Margot Robbie did a line, I mean, Leo did a line in Wolf of Wall Street? No. Hmm. I haven't seen it, so no, I don't remember that, Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, what is your number two favorite use of prayer in a movie? My number two favorite is in Superman 2. And <laughs> the president prayed to Superman to come kill General Zod. That qualifies. Superman is definitely a power Superman. higher than yourself. Yeah, see? Fair enough. But I always thought that was a huge puss move for a prez. And it also made me wonder why Superman wasn't president. To appeal to, to a superhero? I think a president should do that. If we know they're superheroes, we should definitely appeal to them. No, but not on TV, in the White House. How else are you going to reach Superman? What do you know is what's Superman's phone number, Kelly Wand? It's got a hashtag on it. One eight hundred Kryptonite. Uh wait, uh, that would be it, would it? My number two <laughs> Favorite instance of prayer in a movie? I'm no alien, but it seems like a weird choice. But continue, Tom. Yes. This is a movie from 1955. Dingus normally is the one that picks up all these old grandpa movies. Um, but this movie is, is weird. This is not like a 1955 movie. And I think, I looked this up, I think I'm right on this. This guy only directed the one movie. He was an actor, and for whatever reason, he oh. did this one really brilliant movie and then stopped making movies. Maybe he died. Oh, Lee. I don't or know what Salinger. Happened. Nope. Oh, oh, as far as you mean. Of directing, I mean. Oh, right. Well, this is a guy named Charles Lawton, who I know is not oh, an actor. Night of the Hunter. Yeah. Did you know that that's like the only movie he directed? Yeah. It really bums yeah. me out. Night of the Hunter's weird. Like, it's nothing like those movies back then. No, and he's so yeah, great. Such a great movie. So it opens and ends with someone talking to God. And I'd forgotten about this, too, that it's basically Night of the Hunters, the collision between these two powerfully religious figures, one of whom, I mean, I guess Harry Powell is actually religious. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a, certainly a murderer, but it seems like it, it opens with him talking to God as he's looking for his next victim. And he's just driving along, you know, it's, it, it's just having a carefree day in his car, talking to God. Um, and then it ends with Lillian Gish talking to God after she's basically defeated him and protected these children. Um, but I, I love his – oh, and I had a line from it. Yeah, so the introduction of Harry Powell, when you first meet him and he's driving along, it then cuts to him in a sleazy strip joint after he has prayed and he said – there are things you hate, Lord, perfumed things, lacy things, things with curly hair. And then it cuts to him sitting in the audience of this burlesque show, and Robert Mitchum's face, he is so disgusted but fascinated with what he's looking at. And Charles Lawton does this thing that I wouldn't have guessed you could get away with in 1955, where he puts his hand in his pocket, and you hear flick. As he hits the switchblade, and it rips up through the seat of his pants. 
while he's watching the burlesque what? thing. It's a penis reference, Kelly Wand. Is he looking at hell? <laughs> you don't flick it, though. Oh, I guess you kind of There's do. a button uh, press. Yeah, I, love the, I love that movie so much. And the, and the moment where he's singing Leaning with Lillian Gish is... Yeah. I mean, I, you could sort of stretch that into a prayer, but I, I love that. I love that so And much. can can anyone wield a shotgun like Lillian Gish? I forgot too yeah. how much that last scene. She's just like stomping around with a shotgun, and when she actually, when he's chasing the little boy under the house with the switchblade, she reaches down and taps him with the shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> is that another dick reference? <laughs> you bet, Kelly Wan. Sometimes cool. a shotgun is a dick. Two. Uh, thank <laughs> you, Freud. Oh, the shotgun! The shotgun uh, barrels. I'm, I, I happen to be wearing a, uh, a a Kevlar vest. Moment in three days was annoying. The bakery, anyway. yeah. Oh, so he takes it off. The bakery fight was so dumb. <laughs> well, when he, yeah, when he gets shot, you're like, oh, I guess he's wearing a vest. As a, hey, let's use a uh, meat meat stopped. slicer. That but that bad. that night of the hunter pick is great. I didn't even think of that. Uh, all right, so uh, Night of the Hunter, uh, which 1955. Who knew they were making good movies back then? I certainly did. Scorsese remake of it. He watches Problem Child. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, Diggis, what is your number one favorite use of prayer in a movie? All right, I think I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I'm okay. Gonna try it anyway. All right, here's here's the here's the, uh, the deal. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do the dialogue, or not the dialogue, the monologue. Uh, no one will pray for my soul. Will you mourn me, Anagang? Is it too late to say a prayer? I'd say some for myself, but I never prayed in my life. No one ever taught me how. Sounds familiar. If for a minute, Dingus, it said it sounded like you said, "Will you mourn me, Anakin?" It's Anagang. Oh, oh, yeah. That's uh, yeah. Sorry, Dingus. I, I like. <laughs> and actually, the name is. Will Honey you Gong. mourn me, Anakin? The, son is, the name is Honey Gong. I thought it was Anakin. No, no, she's talking to Honey Gong, as everyone knows. Who's. Honey Gong. It's funny watching that movie and then asking people, okay, well, what was the name of the person she was talking to? Because it sounded like Honey Gong to me. I thought Hayden Christian played a dude in it. Ah, Kelly so didn't even know in what the we're movie on about yet. Gravity. Um, <laughs> when she yeah, says, down. when she's talking about not knowing how to pray, that no one ever taught her how to pray. I think that's her actually praying. Uh, you know what, Dingus, you just won me over. I'm, I'm for this 110 percent. So when she says, no one will pray for my soul, and then she ends that thing when she's listening to this guy, will you pray for me? Um, no one ever taught me to pray. I think that, that I think that what she's saying has turned into a prayer. And w- w- the reason I suddenly got excited about this when Tom was talking about his definition of prayer earlier is I think it is her making an attempt to talk to a higher power or some other power. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's gravity is my number one. It's basically a uh, yeah, like it's a, a modern day scientific person who doesn't have a religious foundation at this this moment of crisis, sort of struggling for 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 how to appeal to a higher power or how to communicate. Yeah, absolutely, Dingus. Um, there should have been uh, instead of the bike montage in Three Days to Kill, she should have gone. Yeah, I never had a dad to teach me how to pray, and then they do a praying montage. On the steps, Good and then point. they get clapped at by the French people. That's better than anything. Gravity, fucking idiots. <laughs> that came out wrong. Uh, yeah, see, space movies you can get away with that shit, huh? <laughs> uh, so there's there's this moment where she 
she talks to her child in gravity, but I would not pick that. I would much rather pick this moment where it really feels it really felt like to me like the character is reaching out to something else that she can that she doesn't have the vocabulary to do necessarily. It's not just about reaching for handles. <laughs> it's about holding on to them. Right. Uh, and her prayer brings her a vision of George Clooney. Well, but it's fake. Who wouldn't want that? Oh. Kelly Wan, what's your number one favorite prayer scene in a movie? I like in number one, my favorite is also uh, the movie Salieri as the character Amadeus. Wait. He was praying, and then he met Amadeus and then burned his statue and got a refund. So that's what the movie where I found out you could do that. So that's my number one. I know it was an option. Do right. prayer? Do you get receipts? I've just been prayers? cold. You get more talented. Oh no, wait, you don't. That's the. Although they became buddies after that, so in a way, if you burn the statue, it's like a it's like a friend broker. <laughs> you just made me think about a web series where Amadeus and Salieri are sitting around playing video games. Maybe it was a Virgin Mary statue. Is that a real thing, Dingus, or you're just imagining that? I'm video just imagining that. Oh, I would love that. Um, He's uh, imagining it like she imagined Clooney. <laughs> These are kind of spoilers, Kelly Wan. Kill you. Is anybody, has anybody not seen Gravity? Everybody's seen Gravity see? now, right? I hope so. They better see it by Sunday. What's Sunday? In, yeah, Sunday what is the Oscars, dude. Oh, yeah. who cares? Uh, uh, Dingus cares enough to know when the Oscars are. He used to care. Yeah, I can't wait okay. to see 12 Years a Slave win. Hope King's Speech wins again. Uh, my number one instance of prayer in a movie, uh, and here's where one of the things I wanted to do was not do Christian prayers, but I couldn't. I, 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 I watched <laughs> Night of the Hunter, so I couldn't not bring that up. Um, and, and I was trying to think of prayer. Like, I, there's no praying in serious man. Really, I mean, there's certainly appeals to gods and to God, but but there isn't but the tradition. Not really, and there's not. And part of that dingus is, and I don't claim to have like I, I might be off base here, but in in the tradition of Judaism, you it, it's not this this Protestant. Hey, I have a direct line to God. I'm talking to him. But you you deal with God through through elders, through tradition, through your community. And serious man is a lot of. Uh, Michael Stuhlbarg's character fumbling around with that and trying to find his way and navigate all of that stuff. Um, and certainly his brother's grief is a big part. And um, But I don't, I didn't recall, like I don't think there's ever a scene of what we would think of as prayer um, because I don't know that that's a part of Judaism the way that it is a part of Christianity. And there, by the way, there's great scenes of prayer in The Apostle, the, the Robert Duvall movie oh, where he prays. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to try to find things that weren't Christian, and I didn't recall anything in Serious Man. Uh, but what I did find, and this is kind of cheating because of the nature of the prayer and the nature of this religious tradition, is the Buddhist equivalent of prayer. Now, bear with me for a second, because let me explain that, that Buddhism... Uh, a central tenet of Buddhism is divorcing yourself from the world. Uh, the, one of the concepts in Buddhism is that grief and suffering comes from being attached to worldly things. And that doesn't just mean things like, like wealth and material goods. Uh, that Christianity says, hey, don't, don't worry about that. You may not have it. You might think your life is miserable, but, but don't be attached to that. Buddhism believes not only material goods like wealth, but even emotions like love and, and family. Grief comes from being attached to that. So, Buddhism is like prayer in Buddhism tends to take the form of meditation and basically 
negating yourself. So I am thinking of a scene in a movie where someone has to meditate, and it's a, it's a, it's a movie set in ancient China, and it's clearly in the Buddhist tradition, where somebody has to meditate, and he is at what may be the end of his life, and he has to, as his body is succumbing to poison, meditate to slow down uh. his, 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 his blood flow so the poison won't reach his heart. And the conceit of the movie is that the poison reaches his heart, it'll reverse his blood flow and kill him. And this character throughout the movie has been very true to these Buddhist ascetic traditions of self-denial. And while he is doing this, he's been poisoned, someone is off riding to get the, the antidote to the poison, but she's not going to get there in time. So this is Chow Yun-Fat at the end of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where he's been poisoned, uh, and the young girl is going off to get the antidote, and he's sitting there with Michelle Yeoh's character. And the tension throughout the movie has been that they're in love, but they can't acknowledge it. And he is meditating, and that's a Buddhist form of prayer. And he opens his mouth and he says, I don't think I'm going to make it oh, with my last breath. I want, I have something to say to you. And she's like, no, no, don't say it. Save your breath. You know, she encourages him. Basically, she explains to him the tradition of prayer and how he should merge himself with unconsciousness and with infinity. And like, she kind of doesn't want him to say what he's about to say, even though she knows what it is. And he doesn't take her advice. And he basically confesses to her with his dying breath that he is in love with her. And then he dies in her arms, and it's terrible. Um, and it's, and it, it's more of a tragedy than a simple Romeo and Juliet where they drink poison and they're dead. And oh, it's so sad. Because what has happened here at the end of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is that she has lost the man she's in love with, and he has basically betrayed his own tradition, his own religious conviction by admitting his love to her and by dying with this attachment to a worldly thing, to his love for her. So it's far worse than just if he had died. Uh, And it's a terrible tragedy. Uh, And I I love that it's centered on this Buddhist idea of what prayer is and what self-negation is. Um, So that's my favorite prayer moment. It's when somebody basically decides to stop praying. Seems like a dick move to not do one more breath just to see if she's into it. I know, right? It's... (laughs) So what uh, she would have gone, I felt the same way. Uh, yes, Dingus? No, I, I love this thing. What, what's t- totally sad for me is when you brought up a, a character using meditation in a moment of, like, sort of battle or whatever. I, I of course, thought about the Phantom Menace. Uh, Darth Maul and the Laser Gates, right? Yeah, yeah. quite on chance. That's serenity. He's not praying, <laughs> It's, it's totally serenity now, but that's. Oh, I was thinking of Darth Maul. Oh, you know, you know, you're right. Qui Gon Jinn sitting there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Good point. There, Darth Maul's praying too to a different god. Huh? There are parts of Phantom Menace that don't suck. Yeah, um, they're just buried. <laughs> that's the tagline. <laughs> They're going to put that on the Blu-ray. It's like the Flash Gordon tree where you get. But by the way, that was where that was where I discovered that Michelle Yeoh is in Captain America. Is that a mess? When I was uh, looking up stuff for uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I was gonna I was gonna look up their names and say them, but I'm just not comfortable doing that. Uh, I was just so taken with her in that movie. God, and I love the music in that movie too, except for the excepting the credit song. I love that music so much. Oh, isn't there some Bjork song in the credits or something? No, it's just some terrible like this is the Crouching Tiger song. La la la. Right. That's it's, for the Academy. Dingus hates Chinese pop. I know. What a racist. <laughs> Uh, Paul Weimer writes, 
Hi, guys. I had a bit of trouble with this topic. Not sure if sworn posts <laughs> such as Galaxy Quest count or not. Uh, no, Paul, they don't. Uh, Paul's number three pick. In the Mummy, Benny's rapid recitation. Of I'm listening. He had my money in Mummy. Yeah. Yes. All right. Pray. Here we go. Mummy. Uh, Benny's rapid recitation of all sorts of prayers, complete with a variety of holy symbols, as he is faced with the title character for the first time, it confirms Benny as the ultimate opportunist, not a real believer in anything except saving his own skin. Who played Benny? Who's Benny? Is Dwayne Johnson in The Mummy, or that's just Scorpion King? He's in Scorpion King. Harrison Ford's in the second one. Paul Weimer's number two pick, Walt, played by Clint Eastwood, starts saying a Hail Mary during the climactic confrontation in Gran Torino. In a way, it's a foreshadowing of just what he intends, especially given the last words of that prayer. I don't remember Gran Torino enough to know what Paul's talking about. Uh, Paul Weimer's number one pick, the silent prayer, complete with crossing himself. They call in Farrell's Danny Whitwer mouths as he gets on a dangerous conveyor belt while chasing Tom Cruise's John Anderton in Minority Report. I loved that little character detail. Hey, he kisses the uh, crucifix. Then he loses the fight, so what's that tell you? Peter Haynes asks, how's, how's your Latin? <laughs> That's the I, saying, kiss the crucifix, lose the fight. Yeah. Uh, Peter wants to know, how's our that. Latin? Not good enough, but I'll try it. Uh, he's giving me... Worse than Pazuzu's. Jesu Domine Dona Is Requiem. Uh, there we go. Uh, uh, le- oh, Something about nickels. He writes, let's start with Monty Python and the Holy Grail, shall we? Jesus Christ! Oh. Like that. O Lord, bless this thy hand grenade, that with it thy might blow thine enemies to tiny bits in thy mercy. Instructions as follows. Lobbest thou my holy hand grenade of Antioch toward thy foe, who being naughty in my sight shall snuff it. Amen. (laughs) Kelly Wan, don't you like a good Monty Python reference? Jesus Christ! Isn't that their go-to phrase when some gets thrown at them? Uh, It's a form of prayer, I guess. Castle. It's Uh, form of directions manual. Peter Haynes' number two pick. Uh, at the end of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Ulysses Everett McGill, Delmar, and Pete are captured and set to receive their punishment beneath the noose. McGill's prayer is delivered as a heartfelt confession for turning his back on God for too long. Delmar makes prayer-like moans, and if Pete is praying, he does so silently. It seems to do the trick, though. Cue the savior wave, a cow on the roof of a cotton house, and floating banjos. The works. I don't remember any of that. Uh, how can you not remember a cow on a roof, Kelly Wand? Oh. <laughs> and the baby with the baboon heart. Peter Haynes' number one pick. Uh, Hogarth's prayer in the Iron, Iron Giant, mm. which is, Get out of here, Satan. Go so we can live in peace. Amen. Forgot to wash my hands. Quote. <laughs> uh, he delivers an improvised grace at the dinner table, shouting out the words as instructions to stop the Iron Giant's hand from spidering around in the kitchen behind his mom's back. Played by Jennifer Aniston, if I may say so. Some of her best work. Yeah. Uh, the curious robot could easily destroy the house with a false move, but you get the sense Hogarth isn't worried about a mechanical man breaking the washing machine. He just doesn't want his secret to get out. Do you have to say amen after the PS again? Or does God know to just... Kelly Wan, you have to ask your priest about that. I love the title. You are my priest. The curious Robot that you just came up with. Um, that was the original title. Uh, Jeff Sweet writes, he's only got one pick. And by the way, if you're listening, we're happy to take in single picks. You know, you don't have to come up with three if you don't have three. Send us just one if you like. Uh, Jeff Sweet's number pick, 
The number one pick or only pick is, quote, did you know who are we to you? Answer me, end quote. Dingus, can you guess this one? No. It's a movie called Tree of Life. <sighs> Almost cosmic scale of Mrs. O'Brien's sorrow, anger, and frustration oh, towards geez, a god that's... she – Towards the God she views as having let her son die is perfectly expressed in this sequence, in no small part to the musical choice of Prisoner's Lacrimosa. Even just rewatching the scene on YouTube got me sniffling some. That's great. I mean, that whole movie is a prayer, basically. I mean, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that's the thing. Right. It's like, if it's about religion, then you can't, they're harder to remember the prayers inside. No, but, but it, it begins, I mean, it, all the voiceover in that movie is basically prayer. I mean, like Cormac that's, McCarthy. That's I can't believe I didn't even think of that. That's awesome. Hmm. Uh, Joey Bag of Donuts sends in the Monty Python Holy Grail. He also quotes the entire thing about the Holy Hand Grenade. I'm not going to read it a second time. Joey Bag of Donuts. I hope you understand. Uh, and he honorably mentions uh, what else? So, yeah, so there's a couple of Monty Python references. But here's one I like. Joey Python writes. Uh, here's this dialogue. Greg, would you like to say grace? Uh, oh, Dad, Greg's Jewish. <laughs> of me, Greg. Could you meet me? <laughs> uh, Joey Bag of Donuts, of course, says that is from Meet the Parents. That's awesome. Uh, and then, oh, and then he quotes the prayer. I forgot about this. I can't do it justice, but I seem to recall the scene. Ben Stiller uh, praying. It's oh it's dear Lord. Prayer, yeah. Oh dear Lord. Three things we pray to thee: to see thee more clearly, to hear thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day by day. Is that Ben Stiller praying? Is that what that yeah. is? That's awesome. That's so great. I forgot that. He does a George Harrison quote. Michael Ashley writes uh, three quotes here. Uh, the first, his first pick is Kalima, 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 Shakti Day. <laughs> That's perfect. That's great. It's writes, a god off. This as beseeched by the loving and humble priest Mola Ram, translated into baser tongues as, quote, Mother Kali, give us power to lift the hearts of men from their breasts without the spilling of blood so as not to run afoul of ratings most restricted, end quote. Very nice. And the prayer was answered. The film is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. The PG-13 rating was like a New Testament. Uh, Michael's number two pick. Um, oh, I'm not going to read that. Oh, well. Okay. Uh, as spat by an unrepented Stefan in the much-reviled Django Unchained, Samuel Jackson says, Oh, sweet Jesus, let me kill this nigga. Okay? That's an interesting one. Uh, I guess that's a form of prayer. Um, the third pick from Michael Ashley is... Every time I put my line in the water, I said a Hail Mary. And every time I said a Hail Mary, mm. I caught a fish. Ah, uh, fuck. Do you That's know what that is, Kelly Wand? Yes. What is it? It's Fredo. God damn it. As given, as Michael Ashley describes it, as given with perfected childlike awe by John Cazale, playing Fredo in Godfather Part 2. Is that a prayer, though? Like, I'm, this is what I'm saying. I don't know the difference between a Hail Mary and... Well, no, the, the rosary is a prayer. I mean, but if the words are memorized, chose, that's a prayer. I almost chose a character doing the rosary is a prayer. Yeah. I guess the Lord's prayer is a prayer, huh? Uh, Ed Jekyll <laughs> writes, "Here are my three favorite prayers from movies. My number three is a cheat because it was actually the prayer of an audience member in the theater as the movie was starting, not in the movie itself." Quote, "Dear Lord, please don't let this suck." End quote. 
was prayed by a guy sitting in front of me in the theater before Phantom Menace. In vain. (laughs) If one does not have doubt in their heart, one cannot command mountains to throw themselves into the sea, but apparently faith alone would not save the Star Wars prequels from being terrible, Edward writes. Uh, Number two, Kelly Warren, you might appreciate this, young Salieri's prayer to become a great composer in Amadeus. While his father's praying for economic prosperity, Salieri prays to be able to compose music, something his father has no love for and feels is a waste of time. I love how sincere the prayer seems, because this is a teenager who truly knows what he wants to do in life, but doesn't see how he'll be able to do it. He's so desperate to compose, he even offers the Lord his chastity. The movie's editing seems to imply that God answered by causing Salieri's father to die choking at dinner a short time later. Hmm. It's kind of a Pyrrhic bargain, though, isn't it? Or wait. Mm. Uh, Edward Jekyll's number one pick. Uh, here we go. Ulysses Everett McGill, his prayer at uh, the end of Oh Brother Art Thou, which Kelly Wan doesn't remember. Uh, in this second to last scene of the movie, Everett, an extremely prideful and arrogant individual, is humbling himself before God and asking for himself and his companions, whom Everett feels responsible for, to be saved from the hangman's noose. This scene has some of George Clooney's finest acting, I feel. And it was the first thing that came to mind when Tom brought the topic up. Mm. Thank you. I got a here we here we go from Tom. <laughs> Dave Perkins writes, "Dear Buddha, please bring me a pony and a plastic rocket." <laughs> um, fuck. And he names the movie and he has no additional comment. Kelly, uh, can you guess the movie? Dingus either knows it or at least enjoys the line. The stepfather remake with Amber Heard. She had a stepfather remake. Mm. Who plays the stepfather? I don't know. Who cares? Dingus, do you, do you recognize that? Because you know this movie. Of course I do. Oh, oh. see this. Dingus, David Morris. Why would you watch this movie, Tom? Just I've seen you it. Won't watch Firefly. You? I've seen the movie. I didn't. I was like, oh, whatever. Was there? That was Firefly or Serenity. Wait, or Serenity. Wait, do the quote again. Dingus, Dear Buddha, it's... please bring me a pony and a plastic rocket. What's the context for that, Dingus? I don't remember that line. I suck. I'm not going to tell you guys. Oh, okay. I guess we'll have to watch it. That's how Firefly fans are. They're like, fuck you. You should have saved it when it was on. Never know now. Uh, Alex Burns writes, My favorite prayers from the movie Election. The night before the big day, the formerly three candidates, who are now two, all pray to God, even though one is a nihilist. Uh, anyhow, the compare and contrast of these prayers always makes me chuckle. And Alex signs his email, Flick for President. Wait, nihilism uh, isn't the same as Afo. Kelly Wan, at least it's an ethos. That's a good point. Uh, Mark Wilson Miller writes, uh, number three, Forrest Gump. Young Ginny in the cornfield with Forrest. Oh, no, quote, no, 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 no. Can what? I not even read the quote? Come on, let me read the quote for you guys. Come right, on. Yeah, you can fly away and read it. Yeah, oh, see, Dingus, uh, the, the prayer is, Lord, make me a bird so I can fly far, far away from here. Dingus, why do you hate Forrest Gump? I, I, uh, it's a guilty, I don't know if you would call it pleasure. Oh, I, I mean, I, I I fall for that movie, but I feel bad about it. And that that particular moment where that that poor little girl's getting molested and she runs out to pray. Uh. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! I didn't know that's what I was reading. What? Why would she say that? Why do girls say that in movies? Oh, gross! I had no idea that's what I was reading. You think they're really praying for superpowers, Tom? You're weird. She's praying to be able, able to. She's praying for deliverance. I mean, that's basically what that gross. Is. It's like a lovely bones thing. Ew. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it's a lovely bones, but sort of live. I mean, Do uh, you guys know how Stanley Tucci dies in Lovely Bones? By the way. Now, why don't you hum a few bars? 
<laughs> Number two. I don't get this one. Uh, prayers for Bobby. Quote, insert Sigourney Weaver joke here. You had me after Weaver. I don't know what that means. Uh, his thing or my thing? Or Dingus? What are you talking about? Uh, Mark Wilson Miller's number two pick. He writes prayers for Bobby, and then he writes in parentheses, insert Sigourney Weaver joke here. Isn't that a Jesus movie? Like like a Christian like movie? Is Sigourney Weaver in it? Is Sigourney Weaver in a Jesus movie? Huh. Mark Wilson Miller, we don't understand your reference. We're all Sorry. dumb. That makes you feel better. You win. Here's his number one pick. He writes, this one really stands out for me. I remember it vividly from the novel, and I can't remember if it's in the final cut of the movie. In The Green Mile, John Coffey, before his execution, quote, Baby Jesus, meek and mild, pray for me, an orphan child. Be my strength, be my friend, be with me until the end. Amen. It's probably in the book, because at the end of Under the Dome, they get out of it by just praying to the aliens. It's like, get the dome off us. Kelly one Mark Wilson Miller signs off with love you guys keep up the great work except for you Kelly hmm wait <laughs> he doesn't want me to keep no, no. Up? I think he wants you to I don't know maybe start you get special permission to not have to keep up the great work maybe you don't need the encouragement or I'm incapable <laughs> runners up uh, any runners up I was thinking that uh in Empire Strikes Back, when Vader tells Lando, pray I don't alter our bargain further, there should have been a scene of Lando actually praying. <laughs> then we cut to that, right? I yeah. See. It's like a deleted montage. Brilliant, Kelly Morris. Hate you. <laughs> uh, all right. So, I've, yes. no, I've got a couple of uh, runners up, actually. Huh? Um, first of all... Uh, I really love Alan Shepard's prayer in Right Stuff. Although I, you know, I kind of, you know, I was thinking about things from plays and things from books, and this is really from a book. But, but I love. Uh, I mean, it's it's very famous. It's 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 him saying, "Dear Lord, please don't let me fuck up." Um, that's just sort of a famous. That's space, good space prayer. I mean, I love. Did you read that book? Uh, no, I did not. I did not. Uh, I I've seen the movie it. a couple of times though. Yeah, I feel like I've done right. my time. Um, uh, also, it's in the the prayer that that George does in the bar in It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, when Tom mentioned an, a movie from what was it, fifty five? Fifty five. Yep. Yeah, this is from forty six. Oh God, and, it must be terrible. Uh, it's it's beautiful. It's, it's one of, it's one of Jimmy Stewart's greatest moments. It's, it's him at the bar there, and he's and he's just saying, "Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're if you're up there and you can hear me, it's just he's." really beautiful i mean it's a beautiful scene it's easily accessible on youtube i i love that prayer um and the and uh um the other runner-ups uh runners up i have there's would you consider that the the the, con- the kid in confession and prayer in in bruges with that note about being good at bad at maths a prayer i mean we don't see him praying do you remember the beginning of in bruges i do not no all right. Well, the beginning of In Bruges, of course, is where they kill. Where Colin Farrell messes up the job. Right, he does. Right. But it's in a church, and it's a kid. At, at, oh yes, yeah, right, right. At prayer, and he ha- has this 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 little note in his hands about being bad. Oh, being bad oh my at, god! Yeah, that's terrible, Dingus. Bad at maths. Um, and, and he's it, now and now he's dead. He'll never get better at maths. Yeah, he will never. Just like get Tom. Um, and, and then finally, this this almost made my list. This is the closest one of the runners up to making it. It's at it's in Dead Men Walking, and it's not um, something that 
that Susan Sarandon as Sister is it Jean Prejean? I suddenly don't I, I'm blanking on her name. Um no, it's Helen. It's Helen. Helen Prejean, sorry. Um it's it's in the the final moments of the execution. Um it's it's not the prayer that you hear her say, it's just as as the as the levels are going down and the lights are going off like down to finish, you see her lips moving. And it's clear that that as he's actually as as he's actually dying, she's saying a prayer for him. Mm-hmm. And um uh I I really do love that moment. It's it's really, really moving for me. And now we don't even have to hear it. Like it, we just see we know that she's doing it. Right? Yeah, we just see we just barely see her lips moving. It's right. a beautiful little moment. Name two movies Jonah Hill prayed in in the last fourteen months you've seen and we've done podcasts about. How do you spell Twenty One Ray? Twenty One Jump Street is correct. And The Babysitter. Hey you. Yeah, it's not a movie. The Babysitter is a David Gordon Green movie where Jonah Hill babysits Rory Culkin and discovers that he's gay. And they have a great scene where they talk about, you know what? It's totally cool to be gay. And I love that it's this coarse, vulgar, like, teen comedy thing. I think it's Rory. It's the good Culkin. Who's the good Culkin? Kieran? I don't know. I just didn't know that bread made you gain weight. Why are you making uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world (laughs) reference? And he doesn't say that line. Oh, I, Sorry, I, I apologize. Um, and also, this is the end was the one I meant. Oh, because you liked that movie. Which is going to win an Oscar this Sunday. <laughs> for what? <laughs> what will it uh, for? Worst podcast we've ever done. <laughs> Until next. <laughs> Until next. JK. Tonight's was all right. We've had worse than this. What's your topic? Tom. So I'm looking up which of the Culkin kids is in. Uh, it's, and it's not called the Babysitter. It's called the Sitter. Ah, see, oh. could, the Babysitter's a Alicia Silverstone movie. It could be it's a pol- it could be a pole sitter for all we know. It's not a Culkin kid. That it. Who's the kid in the Sitter? Oh, it's Max Records. It's the kid from Where the Wild Things Are that Kelly Wand didn't. The movie Kelly Wand hasn't seen. Ah, oh, geez, you made me make a Scott Pilgrim reference. <laughs> Oh, because he – oh, no, you're right. Yeah, that's why you're confused, Dingus. Max Records is not in Scott Pilgrim, Dingus. You're totally no, off base. I'm so, I'm so silly. <laughs> what? You mullet-head Dingus. Tom, <laughs> I apologize. Mullet-head. Dingus. dingus, what's his, what's next week's 3x3? What do you oh, yeah. Next week's 3x3 three three is your top three uh, character delusions. So this is that moment where a character – uh, thinks he's something and he's not. So uh, the the obvious one I'm going to burn is Marvin Dorfler from Midnight Run, uh, and <laughs> Marvin thinks he's smart and he's clearly not. And uh, at the at, later on in the movie, he he has uh, Carmine chained to the motel radiator or whatever, and he makes Carmine hold up a newspaper, takes a picture of him because he's going to try to ransom him, and Karma and uh, and Marvin Dorfler uh, says, I amaze myself. I'm always thinking. So this character thinks he's super smart and clever, and he's clearly not. So these are your top three character delusions. Isn't that just a universal delusion? Everybody yes. thinks they're smart. Okay. Yes. Everybody thinks they're smart. Everybody thinks they have good taste and a sense of humor, but they can't all possibly. Hear that, Tom? He's no, calling you out. <laughs> so they, these are moments where a character makes some sort of declaration or clearly thinks something about themselves that they are not. Question what if they become like 
what if they think they're fat, but by the end of the movie they are fat, or vice versa? That actually, uh, that absolutely wins. You win the topic. What about escalators or night elevators? Go ahead. What about like Norman Bates? Mm-hmm. Exactly. After several delusions. Yep, he yeah. thinks he's dead, but he's just a mom. Go ahead. Our romantic comedies off the table since they all are kind of about. Yes, all movies are off the table. Okay. However, Kelly Wand, um, novels about Jack Aubrey, those are fine. You can yep. those. Exactly. Yeah. And, and sh- any any C that is the color other than blue is definitely on the table. <sighs> So if you have any picks for this, we'd love to hear them from uh, our listeners. Send yeah, them in to, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Send them into 3x3 <laughs> at quarter2x3.com. That's 3x3 at, and then spell out quarter2x3.com. Uh, what are we seeing next week? Uh, oh, I oh. don't know, but I don't want to stop seeing it. Get it? <laughs> Tom's thinking. I No, I forgot. I mean, I don't have, I have to look it up. fucking oh, Tom. You have to look it up. We can't just tell you. Well, I was. I had the reader yeah, yeah. Uh, mail here, and so now I've got to go over to what did I? We're <laughs> seeing we're seeing John Collette Sarah's movie. Oh, uh, take don't take down take the stop don't don't yeah, stop yeah. taking down don't take this flight. Uh, don't I'm stop playing. Stand non, nonstop. Right, nonstop. Right, Juan, Juan Collette Sarah, the director of Layover, Orf- Orphan. Or Batman. Oh, fun. <laughs> Snorfin. That was the last. <laughs> remember remember Snorfins? <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, see nonstop with us. Not not literally, uh, but see it and then join us for a conversation about it uh, for next week's podcast. And then send us your pick for uh, favorite self-delusions in movies. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian... Munalski? It's Christian Muraski. And Kelly Wand. Amen. Oh. So I was watching Magnum. Yes. And there's there was a scene where Rick, remember that character? Yeah. I do not. I've never seen Magnum P.I. I don't know. I know there's dogs in it. Ugh. Dingus has told me the premise. It's I think Larry he has Minetti, a butler, isn't it? Right? Yeah, it is, I think. It sounds right. Well, okay, do you know who Higgins is, Tom? I do. That's his butler, right? It's John Hillerman. It's John. Oh no, Hillerman. no, it's uh, yeah. So Dingus has explained this to me. It's not his butler. It's the butler at the house where he's staying who yeah. doesn't like it, him, which I find right. hilarious. They all hate him. They all talk shit to we him. We should constantly. do a podcast of me explaining Magnum to Tom. <laughs> it's a weird show. Well, this will okay. So then Rick calls Magnum, but Higgins, the butler, picks it up and go and plugs okay. his nose and goes, "I'm coming for Thomas Magnum's laundry." And Magnum has to listen to him, and then he goes, more starch on the undershirts. And then they hang up on Rick, and then Higgins goes, you use starch on your undershirts? And then Magnum goes, doesn't everybody? And then Higgins stares into the camera for ten seconds. (laughs) What? That's not true. I'll never believe you. Dingus followed that. What do you mean? What? Now, do you want to watch it? That's before he died, by the way. At the end of Night of the Hunter, Lillian Gish talks directly to the camera. She breaks the fourth wall and talks to the audience and then goes back to making cookies. That's a true story. Is that a dick reference? Oh, you're wow. terrible. Um. <sighs> yes, Kelly Wand? No, I just wanted to sigh. It's your boy.
Um, get what's in Tom's hand out of my face. Don't take this the wrong way, Kelly, but you're not my type. <laughs> I'm everybody's type. 